Welcome back, everybody, to Bill's Chat on the Built in Buffalo Podcast Network. This is Josh. With me, as always, is Luca. Luca, how's it going? Fantastic. Oh, my goodness. Obviously, we are recording here uh, on Sunday night, um, and we just got to, you and I got to experience, along with everyone else, a week one Sunday slate of football. And how can you not just love life right now? It's it's a fantastic time of year. Glad we're here. And uh, life is good. Falls right around the corner and everything's amazing. You know, when the Bills got that opening Thursday night game, one of the first things we talked about was if they can get that win, we would have a stress-free weekend. And I'm telling you, it was such a different feeling today. And I know you and I both have a similar setup at home where we have the Sunday ticket. We have multiple games on at once. Um, you know, obviously when the Bills are playing, we're locked in on that one. But I had five different games going at once. I know you had a similar thing going. And just knowing that your team already had a win in the bank, it was cool, Luca, just to sit back and watch the NFL today. Oh, absolutely. I feel like the one o'clock slate we were able to absorb as a whole and just have some stress fruit, as you said, stress free football viewership. And uh, we got to enjoy every second of it because I'm sure we'll get to it at some point or at least round it up a little bit here. But it was a fun slate to just kind of enjoy as a general fan after enjoying what was an incredible day Thursday. Well, incredible night Thursday night to create such a friendly set, uh, Sunday to wrap up the weekend. Yeah. And I only have one question for you. So after the game on Thursday where the bills won 31 to 10, we were about to get into all of it. I was thinking like, we've already gone over the fact Luca lives in Buffalo. I live in the Midwest. So Luca, I was thinking I have not ran this by you yet. So I'm just going to put some pressure on you and ask you on the air. Can I stay at your house for the Super Bowl parade or am I going to have to get a hotel room? Because that would save me some money. And I think Stokes might come too, and our ladies will probably come too. So can we stay at Casa de Luca or are we going to have to get a hotel? I think the house is a little small, unfortunately, that I currently live in. Oh, I wish I had a bigger one. Down. I, okay. I know. Yeah, it's brutal. No, and it's not because I wouldn't want to. Because okay. yeah, we're going to have to figure that out. Maybe I'll just chip in for the hotel room and just rent a big suite or something. <laughs> I don't know. Like we'll have to figure that one out in the future, but we may have to uh, do that sooner than later here. Cause yeah, I think uh, we'll get into it, but my favorite moment of Thursday night, just to kind of kick it off here was sending you a screenshot of flights to Arizona in mid February yes. and be like, Hey, we got plenty of options, but it already looks pretty expensive to get out there. Um, yeah, no, yeah. We're I'm, Thursday night had me rearing to go and I am ready to talk all this bills football. What a night. What an unbelievable night. And if you were somebody like us that went into this season with high expectations, Luca and I have the highest of high. We both have this Bills team winning the Super Bowl. This game on Thursday did nothing but reinforce those expectations and maybe even shot them higher. I will tell you guys, sometime between now and Thursday, I have actually thought to myself, could the Bills go undefeated? And I didn't last very long. You know how it goes when you're riding high. But Luca, this game was so good. And the, the taste that it left in your mouth was so sweet. The fact that they went to the Super Bowl champion's house and left them laying on the night that they raised their banner. And I will say they won 31 to 10. And I don't even think they particularly played that well offensively. They were sloppy. They put the ball on the ground twice. They had a bobbled interception. This game had the Bills been clean. The Bills could have legitimately pushed 50 points. And look, I will say this once about the Bills game. I will say this as we go into the NFL games that happen on the out-of-town scoreboard later. It's week one. 
week one can lie because it's the only sample size we have. And we know that if you look at any isolated NFL game and draw a large conclusion out of it, there is a risk that you can end up drawing a conclusion that's not true. Like think about if the Bills had played the Jaguars on week one last year and lost in Jacksonville, and that was the only sample size we had. The Bills did lose to an inferior team last year on week one. I don't remember panicking personally. It was more like, well, that kind of sucks. But in general, you have to be careful taking these leaps in week one. But man, everything, the way Von Miller played, the way Josh Allen played, the way Stefan Diggs played against Jalen Ramsey, and we're going to get into it. And Luca, little peek behind the curtain here. Normally, when we have these podcasts, I, I tend to have it laid out like what I want to get into first, what I want to get into second. But there were so many high moments in that game that I'm actually going to call an audible and let you choose. Where do you want to start? What is it Josh Allen? Is it Von Miller? Is it Jalen Ramsey? What jumps out to you as the place we should start this conversation with? So let me lead it with nothing would give me great joy. And I know we will get into it to just absolutely blow up Jalen Ramsey like that. Just you, you mentioned how it, it may have even set our hopes higher or made us feel even better that when he than we could have anticipated. The thing that this game did for me personally was just boosts my confidence that I might know what the heck is going on with this Bills team. Because <laughs> as we have talked for months, this game basically went exactly to the script I have been painting to you on air and off air as well to a T. It was absolutely everything I expected in a game. But with all of that said, we have to start with Josh Allen. And I'll, I'll let you kick it off because that's what you do best. But yeah, you can't you can't not talk about this game and lead it off with Josh Allen talk because 17 was just on another level during that whole game. I was watching football today with my wife and we had a few other games on and, you know, she's, she's kind of into it, but she's not like a, a sports fan. Like she would not be a member of the bills mafia, babe. She roots for the bills. She knows a few of the high level players, but she's much more the type to like, if the bills or if I'm watching NFL, she'll sit in the room with me, but maybe she'll be watching Netflix on her phone and just kind of look up when something happens. But anyway, I say that to say there was a point where I just said, man, uh, Jackie, this is tough because I'm trying to enjoy these games, but it's just hard to get used to watching quarterbacks of other teams that are human. And she, she put down her phone, looked over at me, rolled her eyes. And she is, I'm, if you're out there and you know, male or female, you can probably relate to this. She has said on more than one occasion, she thinks I have an unhealthy obsession with Josh Allen, which is true. I do. I think everybody out there that's listening probably can relate to that, but man, Luca, I swear to you, and I know we're going to start with Josh Allen in the Rams game, but I think it's important to note there were so many moments today watching other quarterbacks around the league, and I'm just sitting there thinking Josh Allen would have made that play. Josh Allen would have, would have avoided that defender. Oh, you got sacked because one defen defensive end came free. That's light work for Josh Allen. He'd powerbomb him and then throw it downfield 30 yards to digs. Josh Allen is such an amazing football player. I have never seen anything like it in my life of being a Bills fan. The stat line from the Rams game was 26 for 31. He had 297 yards passing, three touchdowns. He did have two interceptions, threw in 10 rushes for 56 yards and a touchdown. But honestly, the stats don't even tell the whole story. It was the splash plays. It was stiff arming the defensive back from the Rams on an important third down, third and seven, 
which was essentially the the game winning touchdown drive because at that point in time it was it was 10 to 10 and the bills were going down to get their 17th point the rams obviously didn't score again from that point on and just diving into the end zone and it's not like he's diving into the end zone against a 180 pound defensive back he's diving into the end zone against bobby wagner who on our um rivals show Luca pointed out as this is going to be a huge get for the Rams. He gives them that force in the middle, which is going to be true, by the way. That's just to paint the picture of this was Bobby Wagner, who may someday wind up in the Hall of Fame and Josh Allen posterized him. And that's just what he does. And he's in command of the offense. He's out there making the splash plays. But Luca, my biggest takeaway from this game, I feel like we've almost come to take um, to take for granted the splash plays, the breaking free of defenders, the throwing throws that uh, 85, 90% of the quarterbacks in this league can't make. My takeaway from this game from Josh Allen was the short game, the quick game, how in control of the offense he was, how he was he was making calls at the line of scrimmage, getting rid of the ball quickly. He was reading the defense and he was making the smart throw I think it, it's like if you're a Happy Gilmore fan, like I don't know if you know that movie out there, but Happy Gilmore was a golfer who could drive the ball 400 yards, but had no idea how to putt. And there's a scene where after practicing putting, it's like Happy learned how to putt. Uh-oh. It's like, did Josh Allen develop the short game? I mean, he's got a good short game, but is, are we seeing him maybe become like one of the better short game quarterbacks in the league? Because Luca, he's on his way to being impossible to stop. I, I believe I even sent you a DM. The, the answer is yes, and, and the short game is getting incredible, and everything about that that you have said is spot on, but I remember even sending you a DM at some point during the game, which of course you did not reply to pretty much anything because you were just in the zone with the game. Totally understandable. I'm that same way generally on football games as well. It was just an unreal experience that I was getting the words out as much as I could to anyone, um, but I sent you something saying... I feel like they're almost playing the short game and the meticulous, trying to do the run after catch thing that we've been hearing in the preseason and leading into the season kind of situation a little too much. There were like no, you know, no shots taken down the field, probably for the entire first half that I can recall. Like it was just, I mean, it was, it was beautiful and it was working incredibly, but it was just all, you know, take your six yards, your seven yards, your 10 yards, your five yards, your two yards, whatever was given to him in the passing game, he took. And it was partially, I believe, by design, but also I think it was just, it's a mindset almost. And there is nothing wrong with that. And I also want to preface that I didn't have a problem with it per se. I was just in shock that that is what was going on. And it was, it was, I feel like afterwards, you know, when we heard, you know, both sides talk about the game and how it developed, I do think that was by design as well. When it comes to the Rams, that's what they wanted to give. The problem was we were so good and efficient at taking what they were giving us. It still killed them. And then when they tried to take risks to get back in, that's when those deep shots eventually came, which, oh, by the way, Josh Allen can still hit you. And it's just there is no defense for a perfect, perfect game. And statistically, it might not be the definition of perfect, but it is damn close. And everything you talked about with Josh Allen from start to finish, everything he did in the past game, posterizing Bobby Wagner on that run for a touchdown. And it's a literal poster, by the way. Like if you were to take a screenshot, replace the ball in his hand with a basketball and then just like green screen the backdrop of an NBA, you know, fan base rather than the stadium that was there mm -hmm. and put it on a poster. People would think that was a basketball move. Essentially, that was a literal poster. It was incredible. 
I mean, I think I was watching one program where they were watching it in slow-mo. And I think the uh, description they used as a, you know, a little bit of a joke was the Michael Jordan and Space Jam just stretching his arm effectively over everything and getting <laughs> what was needed. And it was so spot on because at one point, that's what it felt like. Like Josh Allen was trying to stretch his forearm more than it physically could. And it was incredible. Like the game Josh Allen put on start to finish, even though there might have been two picks in there, one of which obviously we all know was nothing to do with his ability or what what he did on that pass. It was just it was incredible. It was just a it was not labeled as a perfect game, but almost it had to have, I would have labeled it ninety nine point nine percent perfect. That was you couldn't pretty much do anything better than what Josh Allen did to the Rams that day. And it was just an absolute chef's kiss. Yeah. The one mistake you would put on him would be the interception at the end of the first half where he had Crowder open over the middle. He pump faked. He was a little bit late to make that throw good interception by the Rams there on that play for sure. Um, the interception you mentioned to McKenzie hit McKenzie on the hand, hands and bobbled out. I thought a telling stat was one that cover one tweeted. Uh, they pulled this from PFF that Josh Allen's snap to attempt was 2.19 seconds, which is just incredible. And the thing about football, and this is going to be a very general basic outline here, but essentially, you know, there, there's different ways to mix up your defenses, but the way you can defend t- players and teams, there's really a few different ways you can do it. And what the bills have seen a lot of, since Josh Allen really came on in 2020 is the defense that we saw the chiefs get a lot of where you see teams keep their safeties too high, which is essentially telling the offense, we're not going to get beat deep. You're going to have to basically go on 10, 12, uh, 15 play drives against us. We're going to bet that you make a mistake along the way. If you don't more power to you, it's a respect thing. They don't want to give up the big play. Um, when you see a team like the Colts or the Titans who could, or the Ravens who can really run the ball, you'll see them pull one of their safeties down. And that's more of a, we're going to bring people up in the box. We're going to crowd the line of scrimmage. We're going to force you to throw it over our defense. The position Josh Allen puts defenses in was on display in that game. Jalen Ramsey has a, a podcast he released after the game. It was actually really good. We tweeted it out from our, uh, our Twitter account. I highly recommend going to listen. It was very insightful. Um, their game plan coming into it was much like we predicted it would be much like we thought the bills were going to do to the Rams, keep the two high shell, keep everything in front of you, make the bills go on long drives because historically the one thing you can say about Josh Allen is he tends to fall in love with his arm. He gets greedy and likes to take those shots and maybe you can get him into a mistake. And that just didn't happen. That's where he took the short throws, the 2.19 seconds, the short throws to Jamison Crowder and Stefan Diggs, which were right there. And then what you saw in the second half when the Bills got up 17 to 10 and then got the ball back, that's when you saw the Rams get more aggressive. And that's when they tried to blitz Josh Allen and he just burned them with the throw to Gabe Davis. And then again, they brought a safety up on the left side and it puts Jalen Ramsey in a bad spot against Diggs on the play that really put the final nail in the coffin to go up 31 to nothing. So you bring your safeties down. Josh Allen can beat you deep. You put your safeties back. Now Josh Allen has the short game. And then guess what? If you cover the play perfectly, he can just take off and run. And he's one of the best runners in the league, not just at quarterback, but at any position. It is it is a created Madden player, Luca, playing quarterback. I do want to have a conversation, though, about Josh Allen running because I feel like it's fun, right? It's we fall in love with it. 
And I do think, and I will bring this up after I kick this back to you. I, I think he does tend to pick his spots. I think this was national TV. This was against the Super Bowl champs. He clearly thought this was a team that he needed to not just leave something in the bag against the Rams. And I think we've seen it before where like if it's going against the Chiefs or the Bucks game you were at last year, or once the Bills got to a point last year where they had to win out to really make the playoffs, that's when they unleashed Josh Allen running. And I'm okay with that. But 10 runs, it felt like a bit much, especially when it was 31 to nothing. And the way I liken it, Luca, is it reminds me of when, like, let's say you're out with your friends that you haven't seen in a few years and you're all having drinks and you don't want the night to end. You're telling stories, you're sharing memories and you say, hey, guys, one more round. This one's on me. And then it's like, all right, cool. Another 15, 20 minutes goes by and you kind of see your friends getting antsy. You're like, I don't want this night to end. Guys, one more round. This one's on me. You do that a few more times and you are having the time of your life. But eventually, Luca, the bill comes and you notice like, oh, man, that fourth round I went for is pretty expensive. And this one's going to hurt in the future. I feel like watching a Bills game every time Josh Allen runs, it's that one more round thing. Like, this is so cool. Look at him. He's stiff arming this guy. He's hurtling that guy. He's running for first down. He's bulldozing linebackers. But man, you don't want that bill to come and you don't want that hit that ends up injuring him, whether it's in the short term, hurting him for this season or for the long term, having his career go the route of a Dante Culpepper or a Cam Newton who took one too many hits early in their career and were never the same. So where do you stand on Josh Allen running? I think it's something he needs to keep in his arsenal, but I felt like there was a point in that game against the Rams on Thursday where it was apparent the Bills were going to win the game and they probably should have taken that play out of their playbook. It's something that should always be there, whether it's actually occurring much or not. It needs to be present. And I would say that early on in games, if you feel like it's something that needs to happen in order to do whatever you want to do on a defense and kind of create that doubt in a game that you feel is important, like you're not doing this against the Jets whatsoever because you should not feel the need to have that threat there to still dominate a game against someone like that. But in other games where you feel like that element needs to be present in order to put the doubt in the opposition, yes, absolutely. Early on, put out a couple there, show what he can do, let him know he can do it. As you mentioned, when it was 31-10, I will say 31-10. You did say 31-0. It felt like it was 31-0. It was still 31-10. Is the Patriots game in my brain? Whoopsie. (laughs) 31-10. 31-10. That is definitely where at least a conversation needs to be had to Josh where, one, you're not going to be doing any more design runs, which I believe there was one in there that I kind of remember and going, why are we still running Josh Allen? Mm-hmm. Like, very, like it, again, as you put it, it was perfectly put. Yes, this is so much fun to watch him just, you know, push off defensive linemen and whatnot and get the yards that he can because he's an absolute freak. But in the context of the game, it was over. Everyone in the stadium, everyone watching knew once it once that digs touchdown happens, once it's 31 10. The game is over. It's clear as day. The Bills were just, they were doing whatever they possibly could on every facet of the game to just enforce their will upon the Rams. And um, yeah, there shouldn't be any design runs going back to it. And then also like you have that conversation with Allen being like, hey, if you feel like you need to tuck it and run and nothing's there, like just throw it away or you know slide out a little bit and see if you can find someone to throw it away if it's safe like you you almost want to just be like 
you don't want to put something in his head where maybe he's thinking too much and that creates an injury or a problem for him. But at the same time, be like, hey, I don't want you tucking and running. Do not feel like you need to tuck and run. Please don't do that. Yes, we should probably, you know, call off that one dog among the many dogs that we can call and enforce on an opponent. That one does not need to be doing its thing anymore. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely something. Ten runs is a lot, especially for a week one regular season game. It was great. It's awesome. It definitely put that whole like, you know, there was the questions going into it of do they deserve being betting Super Bowl favorites? Can they handle all this? And the stamp was clearly just pressed on the league. Like, yes, we are here. We are clearly that team that is not going to be going anywhere anytime soon and could be considered to be the betting Super Bowl favorite by everyone. And there's a reason for it. But with that said, once it was 31-10, one more time here, like, yes, Josh Allen, please like protect yourself a little bit. As you said, there could be that one that just knocks something a little loose, does something to him where maybe it even just knocks him out for a couple of weeks or just inhibits his ability to be safe and know how he can play at 100% for a few weeks even. Like, I'm don't, he doesn't even have to miss a game. Like, what if it just kind of roughs him, roughs him up a little bit where he can't trust something anymore? And the last thing you want to be doing is thinking about, oh, should I run here but worry about my leg? And how, where am I positioning myself so that this leg or whatever doesn't take the full force of a hit? Like, you don't want to have that happen. So just leave that to when it's necessary and when you really feel like you need to unleash that kind of thing. And then once playoffs come, obviously, you just full full guns a blazing and you just unleash the beast that is Josh Allen on anyone in the way in his way and just let this train roll out there. So yeah, I'm with you on it. I'm, I'm absolutely with you on a great analogy, by the way, I thought that was pretty spot on the tab comes and that tab stinks every time when you are the one that bought the one, two, three extra rounds for the boys kind of deal. Not a good time. And yes, spot on you. It sucks. It hurts a little bit the next day where you, you know, back in the day, I always thought of it this way, or I think of your analogy this way. It's like you did that, but then all of a sudden you only put half a gallon of, of, you know, or half a tank of gas in your car. Cause that's all you could afford until the mm-hmm. check hits in two days. Like that kind of that life we've all been there at some yeah. point pretty much. And it, like, that's what it kind of reminds me of. And it's like, well, now you're, you kind of like, Oh shit, I used a little bit too much early on. And I have to kind of scrape on by until I can cash back in and I'm ready to go once again. Yeah, I think the one that sticks out to both you and I is the one right after the Boogie Basham interception. So Boogie Basham intercepts Matt Stafford. We're going to get to the defense here in a second. Um, to the rant, the Bills are up 31 to 10 at this point. There is less than seven minutes to go in the game. The Bills are going to take over at their own 21-yard line. At that point, you could even make the argument that maybe you bring in Case Keenum. Uh, but what ended up happening was on the first play for the Bills, Josh Allen does a little empty handoff. It looks like they're trying to set up some sort of like a stick it to the Rams play where maybe they're looking for something deep. It didn't amount to it. And Josh Allen takes off running and actually took a big hit. And even Collinsworth said something like, okay, like I know he's fun. And I was agreeing with him that I know he's fun, but this even seems like a little bit too much. And then Zach Moss went on to fumble on the next carry. And I was actually happy Zach Moss fumbled at that point. I'm like, yeah, get the offense off the field. If they can't control themselves, get them out of the game. All right, Luca, let's talk about the defense, and we're going to have just a large defensive conversation here, and it's going to start with Von Miller because, my gosh, against his former team, Von Miller comes out and gets two sacks, one right on the first drive of the game for the defense, 
And what stood out to me was Von Miller has every club in the bag that you want for a defensive end. And I knew this about him five years ago. I mean, he was a freak athlete when he came out in the 2011 draft. That's why he went second overall to the Denver Broncos. He had that speed and power combination. But when he got the sack on Matt Stafford on the first drive, it was actually set up by what happened on the previous play. So on the first down play, he goes for a speed rush on the outside of Note Boom, the tackle for the Rams. And Note Boom blocks him, but you can tell he really overcompensated to block him. And then on the next play, uh, Mil- Miller starts out with um, an outside move and then goes straight into an inside bull rush. And Note Boom was off balance. I mean, that's a that's a play that any offensive lineman that's not elite, like an Andrew Whitworth, who the Rams don't have anymore, they're going to have a hard time containing the power and the speed of Von Miller when they catch you flat-footed like that. And he just wound up in Stafford's lap, and it was a thing of beauty. And um, there was another sack he got where he he fought through a, a chip from the offense. So the Rams were obviously paying him attention. It didn't matter. Look, I know Von Miller's on pace for 34 sacks. That's clearly not going to happen. But Luca, at least as far as the first game goes, it was about as good as could be expected from uh, the uh, future Hall of Famer, Von Miller. Yeah, Von Miller was getting a lot of accolades after that game, and it was all deserving. Like he was, he was everything you would you would hope to be. I mean, I honestly was, uh, I don't want to say very surprised or even surprised. It was just, it was nice and somewhat surprising to see um, Von just kind of look a little bit like him himself from two years ago, let's say, or three years ago, pre-injury kind of concerns and the Broncos being concerned that he might not all be there and all the things you were seeing when he was a Bronco and then eventually traded to the Rams. And even with the Rams, when he was good during that Super Bowl run they made last season, it's not like he was the Von of old. You know, he was still effective. He still made a great impact for that defense and ultimately got them over the edge. But it wasn't the Vaughn that we knew prior. That was the Super Bowl MVP. And I'm not saying that he is that now even, but he was definitely better than what we've seen this past, these past couple seasons, you know, pre we haven't seen this Vaughn since pre COVID. And it, that feels like centuries ago, but since pre COVID, like that's, that's really what it feels like. It feels like Vaughn is kind of rejuvenated and has that pep in his step again. And he's sharp. He is very sharp. I don't, I'm hoping it's not motivation because it was his former team, the team he had just won the Super Bowl with, that he really was on his game from start to finish. I don't think that's going to be the case as well. But, I mean, he looked like he was in the zone every time he was on the field. And we'll get into it. I'm, you know, I'm sure you'll lead right into this. But we didn't even need him to be out there very heavy. He was just part of the rotation, and he still made that major impact that he can. So that tells you that, you know, in the days of old where Von Miller would be out there, say, 80, 90 percent of the time to make that kind of impact for a defense because it was needed. He was only out there for what was it? 60. It was less. It was in the 50s. Yeah, 50. I'm trying to look for it. Yeah. 52 percent, 52 percent of the snaps. Or if you want to give an exact snap count, 35 snaps total. And he made, you know, two sacks and was an impact player every snap out there. So an older, wiser, still sharp Von Miller, while he's also now rested going through this season that we hope to push all the way to the end in February, if this is a preview of what we can expect for all of those games, I mean, holy crap, the sky's the limit for Von Miller. It's He is not, let me just 
preface one more time. He is not the Von of old. He is not the Super Bowl MVP Von. Boy, is he still damn good and still one of those top tier elite defensive players and definitely an elite, you know, edge rush defensive presence on the D line and would be for anyone's team. And the fact that he's just part of one of the rotation of our defensive line. Holy crap. There's a reason that I it, it wasn't even just Vaughn. It was the defensive line featuring Vaughn. That's what this defensive line feels like. It's a unit. It's a lot of bodies that put together an unbelievable effort with that jewel and that highlight in the lead man being Von Miller, just absolutely destroying games, which is, I mean, if this isn't what Brandon Bean envisioned, I am very confused because this has to be when he called him, got this deal done. This is what he saw hoping for years to come for Von Miller on the Buffalo Bills roster. So I have a theory about Von Miller. I want to run it by you. I was listening to a Rams post-game podcast by a guy. I, I can't remember the name, so I don't want to butcher it. Um, but I know he's a big film junkie. And um, he was talking about how when the Rams traded for Von Miller last year, he actually wasn't excited about it because the tape that Von Miller had put out the last couple of years with the Broncos was not all that impressive. He was fighting through some injuries. He wasn't the impact player we were used to. And then when he came to the Rams, it was like a light switch went on. They didn't have him practice that much. He was able to protect his body. And he, I mean, he carried them through that Tampa Bay playoff game and was just a dominant force through the playoffs. And then obviously so far, so good for the Bills. Only one game in, but I mean, this is on top of what we heard all throughout training camp, how he was just unblockable by the Bills offensive line. And I'm thinking about, I don't remember which press conference it was, where Von Miller, he was doing an interview with somebody. It may, you know, it was Rich Eisen. He was on the Rich Eisen show, and Rich Eisen asked him about um, what what would it mean to him um, to bring a Super Bowl to the city of Buffalo. And Von said, "It's all I think about." And I just thought, like, man, like you're Von Miller. You you've made generational wealth. You've won two Super Bowls, and you are so driven by winning that that is all you think about. And it got me thinking, like, I wonder if Von Miller's production or lack thereof in Denver was because he saw the writing on the wall. Like, hey, we're sitting here spinning our wheels with Drew Locke at quarterback while Patrick Mahomes is just on his way to winning the division every year. I, you don't want to say somebody's not playing as hard when they know they're not good and when it's not going to end up being great at the end. But if someone like Von Miller, who is a great player who strives to win championships and has that taste of what it's like to be on a championship team, knows he's not on a championship team, you could see how that would be demotivating. And so it makes sense to me why the light switch flipped on when he got traded to the Rams, who were a championship contender and ended up winning, and why he comes out just guns blazing for the Bills, who are the betting favorite. Does this theory make sense? Yeah, I think that's a good theory. You know, of course, we're just speculating on that. Yeah. Or you are, you know, and stuff. So we don't want to make sure we're this is what it is. But it's a good theory. I mean, I think that's it's pretty good. There's something to be said when it comes to an individual needing something, needing to find motivation from somewhere in order to get the best out of what they want to do or to kind of maximize what they're able to do with something. What I would what I would say to that is I can, you know, relate to something like that. Obviously not in this context of as a dominant football player, but um just like with work or anything else in life, like playing hockey, like 
I didn't play hockey for 16 years and I just didn't really have the care for it because I didn't really have the motivation to do it. And all of a sudden I find these work trips going out to Columbus every so often. And I find out one of my good friends who lives out there is playing beer league. And he's like, Hey, you should like buy skates again and buy some gear and just like start picking it up. And then the, I sat in one game sitting in the locker room environment and the energy is great, right? The energy is good. And it got me motivated to the point where it's all I think about. I want to get better at it. I want to keep doing it. And I want to get back to being able to be a great hockey player player again, you know, and stuff of that nature. And you need to find that motivation from somewhere. And maybe it's clear that Von Miller, he went to the peak. He got all the way to the summit. I mean, he was a defensive lineman or an outside linebacker, but an edge rusher at that, that was Super Bowl MVP was clearly the biggest X factor and reason that that team had won the Super Bowl. And, and he had been trying to get to that point all those years from the point of which he was drafted by the Broncos. It happened, and then all of a sudden the decline happened because it's like, where is he supposed to pull that motivation from? As you pointed out, and other things in the division and whatnot are happening that make it seem like you're going nowhere anytime soon as well. Maybe there is something in that. And he re he recognized it, and he said, screw this. I'm better than this. And he knew he just needed to find that change of scenery or I don't even think it's a change of scenery per se. It just had to be a change of scenery because he had to get back in a locker room and get back into a place that motivated him and got him to feel like he needed to be out there for, to accomplish something. And clearly that was at the time last season to get to the Rams and just do something special for them as well. Get them their first Super Bowl while in LA. And that clearly happened and everything was great. And he was, you know, as you pointed out, especially in the Tampa Bay playoff game, he was huge for them to get them over that game and eventually to that Super Bowl title. And now he finds himself here in Buffalo and understands the, you know, the severity and the, the massive nature that is getting this organization finally a championship with all of the history that we have and the fan base and how we are. And it's it's clearly enough motivation and, and information for him to take in and just absorb and love and want to give us Bills Mafia and the Bills organization that championship that we've been starved for all these years. And it makes all the sense in the world to me, to be honest, like you have to be motivated to be at the top level like you can't you can't be excellent at your job and you can't be excellent at anything or really incredible at anything if there's no motivation there. And if it's clearly like you're just kind of going through the motions and you're just not finding an interest with whatever that is, you're never going to get to that hundred percent level. And that, that would make all the sense in the world to me. So I, I think that's a good theory. I think that's, it's an interesting one for sure, but definitely something to be, you know, considered because yeah, as, as that Rams fan pointed out the tape that he had been putting out that last, you know, season and a half, two seasons in Denver, it definitely was unimpressive. People were speculating, was it injury related because he did have an injury at the time and other things. And maybe it was just a lack of motivation. That's a definitely, it's a good theory. I like that. I, I like that a lot. These guys are multi-million dollar athletes and it's easy to think about, oh, well, you know, they're motivated by their own success and how much money they can make. But these guys are also competitors. They've been playing sports their entire life. And the first thing you learn as a competitor is you hate to lose. And think about some players that left the Bills along the way. Think about Stefan Gilmore or Marshawn Lynch, who were good players for the Bills. But then when they left and found themselves, when they were on the Bills, they were on middling teams that really had no aspirations of winning anything big. And both of those players, Stefan Gilmore going to New England, Marshawn Lynch going to Seattle, found themselves in situations where they were going to play in playoff games, play and contend for championships. And they both elevated their careers to Hall of Fame levels. And maybe that's what we're seeing with this 
end of career resurgence for Von Miller. Let's talk about the defense though, because for me, and I think maybe you and a lot of Bills fans, we knew what we had in the offense, right? Like we knew Allen was going to be good. We'll talk about Dorsey here in a little bit. We knew Allen would be good. We know Diggs would be good. We, we felt good about Davis. We know the offense is going to get their points. That There's just too much talent there, and they have one of the best quarterbacks in the league. But for the defense that was number one in the league last year, they did leave what I would say some meat on the bone, maybe some a lot to be desired. Um, I don't know if you want to use the word eyeball test because they were number one in the league, and that does have to mean something. But to my eye, it always felt like when they needed a big a big stop against a big-time offense, they really didn't get that stop. And you, you obviously think about the, the playoff game against Kansas City. We don't have to go there. But the game that Luka attended, it was like – Tom Brady was just going through them like a hot knife through butter in the first half. And then, yeah, there were some tip balls that led interceptions in the second half. And then in overtime, it was like, boom, done. And you think about this defense. I always felt like I don't know if I can trust them to really get the big spot spot stop, maybe against the big time players. And obviously, we're not going to know that after one game, but they were playing the defending Super Bowl champions. They were playing Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup. And so Luca. Um, I know, are, are you some enough of an NBA fan that you would know what the money ball is in the three point contest? Uh, I'm not an NBA, NBA fan, but I do know what a money ball in the three point contest is. Yes, I, I do. So, know what that is. so for those of you that don't know in the three point contest, um, these players will stand by a rack of basketballs and they will shoot them and whoever makes the most three pointers wins, but they have what's called a money ball. And that ball is a different color. And if you make that ball, it's worth two points instead of one. I know it's a three-point contest, but each shot's worth one. And if you make the money ball, it's worth double. I look at some of these situations in games kind of like money ball situations. Like, yes, every drive, there's a chance for you to go out and get a touchdown. Touchdowns are worth the same. But in the momentum of the game and the flow of the game, some drives are bigger than others. And let's let's look what the Bills did in what I would call the money ball situations of the game. So the Bills offensively go down and score on their first drive, touchdown pass to Gabe Davis. That was a chef's kiss play. And then right off the bat, first drive of the game for the Rams, you're thinking, okay, is this going to be one of those games where neither defense can stop the other one? So I would say this is a money ball situation. You score, the defense comes back out right after a score. It's kind of like when you're playing baseball and your offense goes out and gets three runs in the top of the first inning, the biggest inning is for your pitcher to come out and put up a zero. Because then you're really, if if the other team comes out and gets two and all of a sudden it's like, oh, it's going to be one of those games. If your pitcher comes out and gets a zero in the first inning, I think you have just deflated the other team. So it was important for the Bills to get off the field in this spot first drive of the game and after driving to midfield that's where Von Miller gets his sack which essentially ends the drive. The next money ball drive um the Bills are driving down through the Rams they're leading 7 to nothing and that's where the Isaiah McKenzie bobble that led to the interception happens. Our defense comes on the field and gets a three and out on a money ball drive. The next drive, so the Bills are not stopping, being stopped by the Rams. They're stopping themselves. So now the Bills are in their own end starting their next drive. First play of the drive, uh, James Cook fumbles the ball. The Rams take over at the Bills 36. So now the Bills are up 7 to nothing, but the Rams have the ball 36 yards away from a touchdown. As fans were thinking, great, here we go. We've dominated, and the Rams are about to tie this up. No, money ball drive, defense, Dane Jackson interception. So the next money ball drive, we're driving down near the end of the half. The bills are up at this point in time, 10 to seven. And this is where Josh Allen throws the interception looking for Jamison Crowder. 
it sets the Rams up first and 10 on the Bills 45 yard line with a minute 53 to go. I'll go through that again. The Bills are up 10 to 7. They take and the Rams take over on the Bills 45 yard line with a minute 53 to go. The Rams managed to gain five yards in a minute 53 which led to them having to kick a 58-yard field goal by Matt Gay. The kick was good. Great kick by Matt Gay. But there was a Matt Milano tackle for loss, a Von Miller tackle for loss, A.J. Epinesa and Jordan Phillips combined for a half a sack each, and the Bills just absolutely held their ground on defense. Moneyball drive to go in 10-10 at halftime. So the Bills come out and take the lead. Um, first drive of the second half. No, excuse me. Coming out, the Rams get the ball. First drive of the second half, and you're thinking, okay, we dominated the first half. It's 10 to 10. We really don't want to fall behind here to the Rams. We need a big stop here. Boom. The defense gets a three and out. That to me is a money ball drive. And then the final money ball drive of the game to me, the bills get the ball back, go up 17 to 10. And so you're thinking, okay, well, the, the bills just scored. Can the Rams answer? The Rams get a couple completions, get to midfield. And then there's that guy again, Von Miller with a sack that sets up third and long and eventually leads to a punt. Every single time, Luca, it felt like, uh-oh, is this where the Bills are going to lose control of this game? This defense got a key stop. Yeah, the defense came up huge time and time again. I, I do think your point from last season, and I think uh, the general, uh, we'll say the general public that was Bills faithful would probably agree with you that the Bills defense, even though they were number one ranked last season, it did feel like when those big games came, for the most part, it what didn't feel like a number one ranked defense, of course, like statistically we were, but it didn't feel like it based on the eye test. Like you said, this game did feel like that. Everything you pointed out in great, great detail, of course, well done, um, is spot on and pointed out to what number one defenses in the league normally do for their team. It's like, oh, crap, our offense made a mistake. Let's get it back for them. We're not thinking about let's just hold them to a field goal. Even it's like, how can we? absolutely make sure we do our best the turnover uh that dane jackson the the interception that dane jackson got i thought was like a great example of it like that was a moment for sure where you're like okay the rams are gonna score points like something's gonna happen here they're gonna get back in the game and everything like that and you know dane jackson kind of a we'll call role player corner for this team for a lot of years, who's now kind of propelled himself due to injuries and everything going on into that corner one position for now came up with a big play and it, it was great for him. It's great for the defense though. And it was great for the team overall that this defense really did have that, you know, first ranked defense in the league kind of situation and even small things. And this is one I kind of wanted to point out because for whatever reason, it sticks in my head. In, in the drive that I'm going to bring up or just the plays that I'm going to bring up of this drive ended up in that lonely Rams touchdown effectively because they had to eventually convert a fourth down and, you know, get some points because they were desperate at this point. Late in the second quarter, there was one point where I remember uh, Brandon Powell ran for three yards. Jordan Phillips gets called for defensive holding. Jordan Phillips, a defensive tackle, gets called for defensive holding. And you're like, oh, my God, Jordan, what are you doing? Like, it was clear. Like, it looked like a penalty. It was just like, oh, my God, what are we doing? Two plays later. Two. It's second and four. And you're like, okay, like, maybe, you know, the Rams are starting to get momentum. Jordan Phillips just blows through 
and gets a 10 yard loss on a sack of Stafford. And it was like, oh, okay. Not only was it the defense picking up the slack, even the individuals were picking up their own slack and their own mistakes and making things happen to put the offense of the Rams back in a horrible position. And it, it, it just that I feel like little examples like that and things like that, even when the 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 team or the defense may have had a lapse in coverage when whether it was Benford not staying with Cup as long as he should have when then Cup who does this to a lot of players in this league there's a reason he won the triple crown but Cup then is open on a flag route 15 yards down the field and gets an easy catch you didn't see that happen again it was like hey we made that mistake once it's not going to happen again and we're going to make up for it they definitely did a great great job kind of establishing themselves and really just understanding their scheme and understanding their system and doing the best they could in the situation that they were Stafford in the post game said, it's nothing that they didn't expect to see. It's nothing that, you know, was too, too surprising. We just executed the bills just executed. Sorry. I didn't mean we, as in Stafford saying the Rams, it was the bills just executed their defense perfectly. And it was frustrating to Stafford clearly because there was just nothing there. We were just really good at doing what we do best. And it was phenomenal to see. And really, this is the game for me that, for the defense kind of thing, they went from a, well, I'm not calling them a fake number one defense, but a kind of uh, on the cover number one defense. They are now a legitimate looking number one defense. They established themselves top to bottom, left to right, all the way around defensive line, linebacking and secondary. It was top notch play start to finish. And oh, just wonderful. It, everything was wonderful in this game, of course. But the defense definitely did a phenomenal job of showing why they were the number one ranked defense last season. Three interceptions of Matt Stafford. We had the Dane Jackson one that Luca just mentioned. We had Jordan Poyer getting one. And then we had Boogie Basham also getting one along with seven sacks, two by Von Miller. One by AJ Epinesa, or one and a half by AJ Epinesa, one and a half by Jordan Phillips. Greg Rousseau and Boogie Basham also got in on the sack action. And then just one more note on the defense, Luca. And you had called this, you called this going back to the beginning of training camp. Christian Benford got the start over Kair Elam. Now, when you look at the snap count, that was a rotation, which is something that you predicted would happen. This wouldn't be something where one guy got all the snaps. Uh, Christian Benford got 58% of the snaps. Kyrie Elam was out there for about 45%. The difference is 39 snaps for Benford and 30 for Elam. I thought both guys held up well, but Luca hat tip to you. I didn't think the bills would do it. I thought they'd go with the number, the number one pick, uh, but Benford earned the start and he got the start. I, I just want to say this one more time. And I was saying this at the, you know, I was at a viewing party and I was saying it for all of them there. When I saw Benford start, I had that shit eating grin on my face. Like, holy crap. I knew this was going to be the case. And I loved it personally. Um, of course I knew it was going to be a rotation eventually. Like I also knew that was coming as well. But what I will say is it was again, one more time, not a detriment to Kyer Elam. It was just you, we've gotten a feel for this, coaching staff and the defensive staff is especially that they kind of look for certain things, or at least I've noticed this. They look for certain things, especially when it comes to big time opponents or in big games, when they're playing dynamic offenses, or at least are playing against players that could be a problem on the offensive side of the ball. And 
Benford was clearly the option that they had available out of these two rookie corners, we'll say, that was the safer quote unquote option. It was it was kind of the he hasn't shown anything that looks like it's going to put this defense in a problem area, whereas Kyer still looked good as well in the preseason, but he had shown that that, you know, the grabbiness, we'll call it, or, or just the, the almost too much trust in his athletic ability. And there is a lot of it, but almost where he let a receiver or he rounded his coverage around a receiver and let the receiver get space because in college he was able to do that and then recover on it. Whereas this is the NFL, baby. You can't do that. You give one one yard of space to a receiver, they're going to take full advantage of it. Benford didn't do that. He was sound to his zones, responsible, and you know, just kept kind of for the most part everything in front of him. Now, again, the difference of preseason and regular season really showed up as well. Cause I mentioned Benford made a mistake. He let Cooper cup pass by him too quick. He was too zone responsible, even though there really wasn't anything there. And guess what? Stafford recognized it immediately because there was one thing that the Rams were doing. They were looking to that side first. They were looking at where's the rookie corner, whether it was Benford or Elam. And that's going to be our first read essentially. And when Benford passed off cup too early, it was wide open by NFL standards. I mean, it was wide open, period. But it was there. That was the only time we saw that, though, from Benford, I feel like. Everything else from that point on, I'm sure Poyer or you know many of these leaders on this defense came up to him and were like, hey, kid, like keep it in front of you. Especially if you're lined up against Cooper Cup, make sure you stick to him a little bit longer because most likely he's their first read no matter what. You know that Stafford's eyes are coming to him as soon as the ball is in Stafford's hands trying to throw the ball. Um yeah, once that happened once, you didn't see it again. And Benford was just kind of that guy that seemed all oh, reliable, trustworthy. You know what you're going to get. It's not exactly something that you know is going to just break on balls and pick everything off, but it's going to be responsible. It's going to be safe. It's not going to put the defense in a problem area by any stretch of the imagination. And then Poyer and Hyde and Dane Jackson, and then the two linebackers and Taron Johnson, you know, kind of in the inside of the field can just do their job that they know how to do very well in the, the machine that is this defense will be effective. Uh, pat on the back to me to, you know, just, I'm very proud of myself. I'm very proud that it, it makes me feel like I actually know what I'm talking about here. And thing, I'm happy yeah. that I can deliver that to everyone. Um, it was definitely a shot I meant to take and I'm happy that I, I said it because it really did feel that way to me. And, um, it also makes me love that this coaching staff, this is the final point I'll make real quick. This coaching staff is not afraid to trust that sixth round pick over their first round pick. And they just, they, they want the best guy out there. They want to win. They want the best player available to do the job that they want to do. And clearly Benford, a sixth round pick, they felt was a better option to start and at least get this game on the trajectory that they wanted it to over the first round pick, which by the way, if Elam develops by the end of this year as a clear far and away corner number two, I will not be remotely surprised whatsoever, but also if, if he needs a whole season to develop, at least they kind of have Dane Jackson. And then also, you know, now Christian Benford as just that kind of reliable guy there that can play opposite of hopefully a healthy Trey White by the end of the year and just do their thing as well. And clearly the trust in that player that is Christian Benford is there because you're not putting him on the first drive of the season against Cooper Cup effectively unless you have a great level of trust in him and good on him. Good, good on Christian Benford. And, you know, again, nothing against Elam. 
It's just kind of felt like they wanted to make sure that they didn't put themselves in a position where Kyer gets beat and all of a sudden grabs them 20 yards down the field and just kind of gives them a free play. And that's kind of that that kind of situation is more demoralizing to a defense, I feel like, than actually the play getting plucked apart because you feel like they got your number and they feel like they have your number as well. So uh, good on the bills, good on the staff and proud of Christian Bedford. Thanks for making me right, Bedford. If you if you hear this, which I'm sure you don't, but if you do. <laughs> Very proud of you and happy that you were get, able to get the nod to start. So I think this is I the way you laid it out a few weeks ago when you mentioned that this was your prediction, I think ended up being spot on. It, it wasn't that Christian Benford was necessarily better than Kyrie Elam. It was that he was more of a steady hand. And I think that if the Bills were, say, in the same situation as the Bears or the Jets, a team that you know um, is not really going to go anywhere in 2022, and it's more about developing players and seeing what you have for the future. Kyrie Elam, Elam would be on the field taking snaps, even at the expense of a Christian Benford, because he has those high-end athletic traits that Luca mentioned. He he is a first-round pick for a reason. He is a special athlete, and he's the kind of player that you want to get reps in. The Bills are a team that are trying to win a championship this year. So they are going to lean to a player that is a steadier hand, which I think speaks volumes about one Christian Benford two the coaching staff that Luca mentioned and three with Kyrie Elam having those traits, but he came from a heavy man press situation in Florida where there are some issues we've seen with Florida Gator players in the past with having good technique. I think there's some coaching issues there. It shouldn't surprise us that Kyrie Elam is not ready to hit the ground running for a championship level team. Could he start for the Jets? Could he start for the Bears? Absolutely. He's not ready to start for the Bills, and they seem to have, at least for now, struck gold in the sixth round. Well, Luca, while we're giving you credit, let's talk about something else you predicted. I asked you last week if Jalen Ramsey shadowed Stefan Diggs, which neither one of us thought he would, and he didn't. Um, Is that a matchup you would shy away from? And you were very quick to say no. In this game, Josh Allen targeted Jalen Ramsey and had a Perfect passer rating against Ramsey of 158.3 every time he was targeted. And Jalen Ramsey gave up six receptions for 124 yards and two touchdowns. For those of you that may not remember this, when Josh Allen was drafted by the Bills, Jalen Ramsey, then a member of the Jacksonville Jaguars, had an interview with GQ where he said that that was a bad pick. Josh Allen is going to be a bust. He can't wait to play the Bills because he is going to get an interception in that game, and Josh Allen is terrible. And boy, oh boy, has every time Josh Allen played Jalen Ramsey, did he make him eat these words. Luca, you predicted it, so I don't know if you were surprised, although I don't know if anybody could have predicted 158.3 rating, 124, and two touchdowns. Yeah, look, I want to be that guy that's like, yeah, no, I saw this coming. you never see a perfect passer rating versus any corner, let alone what is someone that's regarded by others, not myself, as the best corner in the league. Um, I will say I was happy that they were not afraid at all to just trust their offense, let Josh trust what he sees, and go at it. And it was it's very clear. The one point that has to be made in this conversation about Jalen Ramsey and being burnt toast that he was is the fact that Diggs and Josh were letting Ramsey live in their heads rent-free, but giving it to him every possible chance they could. And it was beautiful. I mean, think about it. It was, what was it? I You read it off, I know, or I believe there, but six of seven. And the one incompletion, 
was the one where Josh Allen kind of ran like what I called a Tebow-esque like option where it's, you know, handed off, could run it, but also there's a throw option. And he even did kind of like a little bit of a skip jump to kind of get it to Diggs because he was almost so excited what he saw. And it got to Diggs so fast because Allen's arm is just too fast for him at that point in time that Diggs didn't even see it until the ball was already off his palm and be, you know, passed him out the back of the end zone. The reaction that Diggs made to that play immediately snapping his head to Ramsey who is laying on the ground and giving him the that close yeah and just eyeing him up oh my goodness that was my that might be one of my favorite highlights and it was an incomplete pass in the end zone it was like uh you got off easy on that one you, like hey buddy like we got you mm-hmm. and, and Josh is just eyeing him up and jawing him up and Stefan clearly was just giving it to him left and right. That was definitely that was definitely a game with Ramsey where Allen and Diggs must have had something hanging in their locker yeah. or hanging in each other's lockers on the bulletin board everywhere. And they were just reading words nonstop of maybe that quote from his rookie season or whatever it may have been. And we're just like, we're going to give it to him. We're going to absolutely give it to him. And the, you know, Josh running at, as I just want to point out, because people want to hate on it a little bit out there, but 12 miles an hour and throws a ball 50 yards in the air to hit digs way over top of Ramsey all in one motion and get that touchdown to make it 31 points to put the cherry on top on Ramsey. Oh, baby. That was the one that's like, Ramsey, you better eat shit, bud. Cause uh, yeah, this game's over and you look like dog crap. Like just, you that it might have been one of the worst games I've ever seen a, mm-hmm. a player that is considered to be elite. Like I cannot think of this player and our buddy shout out Nino is going to be very upset with me, but there's an infamous corner we know from the Steelers back in like the mid 2010s that we used to love as an IDP because he was regarded as the worst corner in the league, but he used to get tackles all the time because he was getting beat nonstop. I can't think of his name, but he's famous in our fantasy league back in the day. Oh my God. Not he was Taylor, notorious. right? No, 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 no. He like this good. guy was. Is this guy legitimately yeah. not good? No, this guy. This him. guy was bad. Like, okay, so bad. Like he, his PFF grade was like in the twenties. <laughs> okay, like it was. This dude could not cover, but he'd get tackles. So you draft him as your IDP corner because he's getting twelve tackles a game. Because there was one drive I remember once from this guy. Uh, I think it was Aaron Rodgers or someone just threw the ball at the receiver on him like the six straight times. Yeah. And this dude got six tackles because he didn't know how to cover the receiver he was against. It was beautiful. That's what Ramsey looked like. He looked like the worst corner in the league against the Bills. That is why you don't shy away because we are so good. Diggs is so good. Allen is so good. I don't give a crap how good you think you are. We're probably better as a whole. Again, I say that as a whole because Diggs is not a player I would say is the best receiver in the league, right? He's in the elite category, of course, but like Justin Jefferson at this point in time right now, I'll just kind of tell you, he's probably the best receiver in the league at this moment in time. You know, you have other guys out there that I'd probably put individually above Diggs. Josh Allen, at this point, I, I do believe as an individual is the best quarterback in the league, but it's up for debate, of course. Um, they might be the best QB wide receiver combo. Exactly. That's where I was getting as a whole, as a unit, Allen to Diggs is probably the best one two punch. Like there is nothing anyone can do about it. The only reason that they would not have a successful day is probably because one of the two of them is having a somewhat off day. That's it. 
It's not going to be because of Jalen Ramsey. It's not going to be because of JC Jackson, as we have seen over the years. It's not going to be because of any of these guys. If they have an off day, it's just because they themselves, one of them or both of them, are having an off day. No one else is going to be able to, you know, tell me otherwise. And it's why I gave you that quick answer because I was confident in that answer. Jalen Ramsey wasn't going to stop shit. I don't mean that he wasn't going to, you know, he was going to look like absolute dog crap, but he, Diggs was not a person to fear Jalen Ramsey one bit. And I was so happy that they did, they agreed with me clearly with the offensive game plan and they made that crap happen. It was just, let me do a actual chef's kiss. Just I, I'm ugh. watching Luca on video and I can confirm he did do the chef's kiss motion. Ugh, beautiful. You know, I love the the touchdown to go up 31 to 10. It was a beautiful play, but I, my favorite play of the game between Allen and Diggs was the back shoulder on third down oh. because Allen identified he was going after Ramsey pre-snap. He went after Ramsey and that was just the sign of a wide receiver and a quarterback on the exact same page. And you could see the emotion on Diggs whenever he caught the ball. He runs down the sidelines, chest bumps, Bobby Hart, the whole team's getting into it. It was really cool to see. I'll say something else about Diggs. We've seen him play with emotion before. We've seen him jaw at people, but this was a different Diggs. When he scored the last touchdown on Jalen, or the only touchdown on Jalen Ramsey at the end, his only touchdown, he was getting in his face. Gabe Davis ran down and got in his face. It goes to your point. I think this was personal for Allen for the GQ article. And I will tell you, I feel like it's almost like Diggs, the big brother, was sticking up for his little brother, Josh Allen, like, Lo, I got you. We are not going to let Jalen Ramsey cover us today. And you could just tell it was personal to him. It was personal to Davis, who ran down and got in Ramsey's face. I love everything about this team, and you don't want to overstate it. But, man, they seem to really love each other. I cannot wait just to see how this season unfolds. But we're going to have to wait. We we have a, a long time to go before the second game. Luca, there's just some other quick hitter stuff I want to talk about uh, that happened in this game that I do want to hit on. Um, I'll just go over a quick list here, and then you can tell me anything that stands out to you. One, the defense got seven sacks, and they didn't blitz one single time. That is wild. That is crazy consistency when you can drop seven into coverage every single play. We did talk about the fact that we thought this defensive line was put in position where they could stop the run just with the defensive line rushing forward without creeping anybody else up and the advantage that gives you on the back end. But to also be able to get consistent pressure on the quarterback with four, what a weapon that's going to be. Ken Dorsey survived his first game of offensive coordinator. I think he passed with flying colors. First drive was electric, um, went bing, bang, boom, touchdown. That is the scripted portion of the play. For those that don't know, a lot of times teams will script their first 10 or so plays of the game just to kind of, you know, that's where they're really heavy in game plan. They know that if this happens, they're going to do this. If this happens, they're going to do that. And a lot of times that they say, okay, well, that's great. What happens when you have to go off script? I think Dorsey did good on the script, off the script. Overall, great afternoon for Ken Dorsey. And honestly, he probably could have scored a 50 if he didn't have two running backs fumble the ball and a couple of bad interceptions. Um, Jamison Crowder was active over Khalil Shakir. I honestly did not see that coming. I thought Jamison Crowder was very solid, though. He reminded me of Cole Beasley, Luke. And you know what? I'm not going to go through my whole list here because I do want to have a Crowder conversation really quick. One, the surprise of being active over Khalil Shakir. I will admit I was surprised. He did play punt returner, looked very comfortable in that, actually had one really good return. But man, you can kind of see now when Crowder was extending drives, making plays, they even did a bubble screen to him where he got 10 yards after catching it at the line of scrimmage. 
you can see why the Bills felt the need to activate Crowder even at this expense of Shakir because he is just a steady hand on an offense that has an electric player like Stefan Diggs, an electric player like Gabe Davis, an electric tight end like Dawson Knox. Just to have that steady, reliable veteran presence in Crowder, I think it's going to go a long way. And I feel like as the weeks go on, he and Josh Allen are only going to get better together. Yeah, it's a good spot to Crowder deserves a little bit of a love here because just to be real short about it, it was surprising as well for me that, you know, Crowder was active and then Shakir was not. There was, okay, the initial panic before the game of, okay, we loved how Shakir was fielding punts, but who's fielding punts? I had I had no inkling or thought that Crowder was going to be that guy. It was like, oh, is Micah Hyde going to be back there? What What's going to be the situation? McKenzie, like... I didn't think yeah, Crowder exactly. Either. Like, and I was not a fan of the idea of McKenzie because I wanted, of course, McKenzie to be more of a big part of the offense. And what I will say is Crowder impressed me. And and I say that in the regards of this is the Crowder I expected that they were getting when they originally signed him and not the one I eventually felt they had, you know, through the preseason and stuff. And it's no there's no reason for it other than the fact of Crowder didn't really show anything in preseason and you just didn't really know, but it was nothing impressive. And all of a sudden you had this, you know, fun, shiny new toy that is Shakir impressing the hell out of you. And you're like, Oh crap, I want to see that out there. I don't give a shit about this Crowder, but yes, the, the Cole Beasley situation, it, he felt like he was sitting in those pockets and doing his job in that role perfectly. It was the Cole Beasley of 2020. It was, you know, everything that you needed in that position to just keep drives going and be a nice, reliable piece of the offense to sustain long drives and make things happen. And it was, um, yeah, Crowder did a phenomenal job. And then, yeah, I I remember at least one punt that he fielded and he did a good job with that too. Like he did a great job and it was almost surprising uh, in the regards of, I just didn't expect him to look that good. And I'm happy that he did because it just adds to the plentiful amount of weapons that this offense has. And it's just, it's insane. To th- if you're an opposite, if you're an opposing fan, you, you watch that game and you're like, what the hell do you do with all of these different tools and weapons and pieces that the bills can deploy on you? And if one thing's not working, they probably have three other things, you know, right in the waiting, ready to just unleash and you're done. Crowder was one of those things. He was very reliable and very good. It was it was impressive to see. He's going to matter to this team. I, I I really do believe that. And if you look at the snap count just from game one, Isaiah McKenzie had 26 snaps, which is 44%. Crowder had 18, which was 31%. I don't know if it's going to be a full-on rotation or game, game plan specific situation, but I think Crowder's going to matter a lot, and I don't think it's going to take an injury to make that happen. And Luca mentioned it. Look at the depth. We know the big three. We know Diggs, Davis, and McKenzie are there. How many teams have a Jamison Crowder and a Khalil Shakir? And if you want to have to go down to the practice squad, a Tavon Austin that they can just dust off and put in there and get ready to play for your team. It is an embarrassment of riches for this offense. I do want to talk about the rotations the Bills have. We're not going to go through um, all of them, but you know, just calling out a little bit like Stefan Diggs only played 64% of the snacks. Luke, Luke, I think I just said snacks. Am I hungry? Snaps. You did. <laughs> um, Lucas said that Von Miller only played 52%. Um, we mentioned the fact that McKenzie and Crowder were both under 50. I think, Luca, this probably was maybe a game plan specific situation. And I will raise my hand and plead ignorance to this. Maybe you were aware of this because we know you closely follow the Cardinals, so you would have more of a vested interest in SoFi. When this game came out, 
I, it didn't even occur to me that weather would be an issue. I'm like, oh, it's an indoor climate controlled stadium. That is not the case. The roof they have on SoFi is not one that essentially allows you to have air conditioning within the building. So it is a non-air conditioned building and the temperatures during the day were up over 100 degrees. By the time the game started, they were saying it felt like over 100 degrees on the field. And you could just see, like once you saw reports that coming out, I really started looking at like players' arms just to see if they looked like they were sweating. And man, on the opening kickoff, guys just looked drenched. And I think this is just something else that doesn't get talked a lot about with the Bills. But I think they were keenly aware of that. You saw Devin Singletary uh, and Zach Moss get mixed in a lot. Zach Moss was out there a lot. Um, maybe some of that was James Cook fumbling early and only getting three snaps. Um, I feel like Sean McDermott really was trying to make sure that not only is this week one, so we have to ramp guys up from a stamina standpoint, but it's going to be incredibly hot out there. We don't want guys cramping. And one thing about the Bills, like, for as good of a roster as they put together, as heavy into analytics as they are, one thing that they don't really broadcast, but they are very invested in is their sports science department. If you think back to that playoff game against New England when it was less than zero degrees um, temperatures out there, what it felt like, just think about things like they, instead of having water on the sidelines, they had chicken broth that players were drinking because the sports science department had done research and came up with the fact that chicken broth for a, a cold situation is actually better for your body, better for cramping they, things that you would never think about. Luca and I are two active people. You know, we work out, we research things, you know, on the average active person's level, I never would have thought about hot chicken broth on a cold day. And that's amazing. And then I just think this is another example of the sports science department coming to McDermott and saying, Hey, Hey, look, you don't want to have your Stefan Diggs out there for more than 64% of the snaps. Like you don't want him running hundred percent of the routes. And I, I give McDermott a lot of credit because when it comes to coaches, you can have all the analytics, all the sports science as information. But if you choose to not listen to the information in the heat of the moment, a game is out there to be won. It's a lot easier looking at a piece of paper and saying, okay, I got to keep Stefan Diggs under about 70% of our snaps and being like, that sounds good. And then the heat of the moment in an actual game that you have to win, being like, hey, awesome player over here. I need you to come off because we have a plan. That's hard to do when you're wanting to win a game. McDermott trusts his information that they give him. And Luca, I know this is something you're aware of with the Bills, but I know we've talked about it before. I think it's just part of the process with the Bills, McDermott embracing these, these analytics, the sports science, everything about the Bills has been so forward thinking under McDermott. And I don't think it's a coincidence. Obviously, the Josh Allen part, finding him in the draft is the biggest thing. But I don't think it's a coincidence that the Bills have been one of the healthiest teams since Sean McDermott came here and have had these little edges. And I think that was another one out there on Thursday. Yeah, real quick. SoFi might be like the biggest waste of five and a half billion dollars of all time. Right? Beautiful stadium. Looks awesome. What are you doing? Yeah, what, we... <laughs> The open air thing and the fact that they can't, it's so open air and whatnot, which is, look, it's really cool. It's a cool concept. It's covered. It looks beautiful. All that fun jazz. But essentially, you built this massive cover for a non-dome stadium just so it can support a Halo video board. That's really crude to say, but that's effectively what it's doing because it's not doing anything else. You're not able to do climate control. We can... 
rain delays can happen because unfortunately if there is thunder in the area and it is an open air stadium you have to pause a game even though it's fully covered doesn't matter you gotta pause it because it's open air if you understand science and physics there's a reason for it but again really stupid to spend five and a half billion dollars on a structure like that and you don't get any of the benefits of an actual covered stadium really stupid Outside of that, we don't, we don't need to go too much more into that. I just, I hate SoFi. So with that, I do think there's some validity to what you're saying when it comes to, there was a game plan in this that clearly they wanted to make sure they rotated a little bit more. People weren't overstressing themselves because yeah, the weather and the heat did play a factor in this game. It was clear as day, as you pointed out, even at kickoff, you were seeing beads of sweat pour down their arms of players and stuff. They hadn't even done anything other than their pregame jog. <laughs> like, why are we sweating that much? There was something going on in the air. Um, great on them. I agree with everything you say. This coaching staff clearly values analytics and sports science and tries to just get the maximum out of a player, both on the field and health-wise, and make sure they're readily available. Because the best a player can be for you is available, of course. And how do you do that is maintain their body and maintain their health as best as you can. And you have to take in environment, you know, factors and all these different things into account to make sure a player can remain at their top health. And they do a phenomenal job at that. The chicken broth example, when it's cold and stuff is yeah. Next level. I have heard of that trick, by the way, it's, I will, you will never catch me dead. Just drinking chicken broth. That is just no, thank you. No. Yeah. I'll, I'll survive on, you know, coffee or whatever, or I'll just freeze to death. I've, I've lived, I'm born and raised in Buffalo. It gets cold here. I get it. Wind sucks. Lake effect sucks. All that jazz. I don't care. I'm not drinking chicken broth. Sounds like a potential warm. future bet we could make where if you lose, you have to drink chicken broth on, on the air. That would be good. Yeah. Yeah. I have to be at a winter tailgate or something drinking only chicken broth. Yeah. Oh, that sounds horrible. The Super Bowl parade. Oh, uh, <laughs> No, I want to be drinking a lot of other things than chicken broth yes. on that day. Uh, so, but yeah, they, they value that stuff and it's awesome because this is a team that, you know, just like any other team in the league, you want to stay healthy because there's a deep run coming. We've had deep runs already and that also takes a toll. So you want to maximize the output of every everyone involved and they do a great job at that clearly. And they did a phenomenal job here again, rotating as much as they could on both sides of the ball, not just with the defensive line that gets all the, you know, all the headlines, we'll call it, but um, did a good job to make sure everyone can make it out of this game, at least, you know, somewhat alive and healthy and doing good. Well, that's a great transition at, to the injury roundup from this game as the only injury the Bills sustained appears to be Ed Oliver. Sean McDermott spoke on Friday and said that Ed Oliver is day-to-day with an ankle injury. Um, some of the beat reporters did spot him in a walking boot. That's normal. Don't freak out about that. That's precautionary. Um, so Ed Oliver did tell reporters he would be fine. That's according to Sportsnet. Um, I would say that you know, it, for, for a player like Ed Oliver, with the depth we've seen on this defensive line, if it's even close, just go ahead and sit him and let him get right. We have enough depth there. That, that there's no need to rush him back on the field. Otherwise, the Bills came out of this game very, very clean. So the Bills start the season off 1-0. and And Luca, it is time now for us to play a little game called Game Balls and Game Checks. And here's how this works. Luca and I are going to isolate two players. Our player, They could be the same player. We have not talked. 
who deserve our game ball for the performance against the Rams. We're going to do this every week. And then on the other side, think about like least valuable player game checks. Who's a player that should hand over his game check because of how he played in this game? Obviously, we are not expecting anybody to hand over their game checks. I just like the way it sounds. So we're going to roll with it. Luca, who gets your Buffalo Bills game ball for week number one? So this was a tough decision. Naturally, this was an incredible game. You could give it to pretty much anyone on the roster. I really had to just kind of cut down to who really deserves it. Josh Allen, of course, all that stuff. Who I give mine to is just the entire Bills defensive line. The entire unit that was the defensive line. Von Miller, of course, is the leader of the band. But, I mean, when you consider the fact that literally everyone on that defense or the defensive ends, at least all recorded, at least a sack. And then you had Jordan Phillips getting a sack and a half. Um, everyone is involved. That entire defensive line unit, Tim Settle, Daquan Jones, you know, the Eddie O, even in the time that he tried to play. And then, of course, as I just mentioned before, the DNs all got a sack themselves. Everyone put in a top notch performance in those seven sacks total and the pressure they were able to get without requiring any blitzing that is something that you rarely see in the nfl as a whole and the fact that we were able to accomplish something like that against a mcveigh offense who was technically in stride because they are the defending super bowl champs and this was their first game back that is a performance that absolutely deserves a ton of accolades and all the credit and all the love um, proud of them and proud of everything they were able to do. And I just want to give them, uh, I guess, you know, nine game balls or, you know, how many I'm trying to count in my head real quick, how many there are total, all the game balls needed. Every single one of them deserve it. They deserve all the credit in the world. Yeah, that's tricky. Like, so they had eight active, but does Shaq Lawson not get one? Cause he wasn't active or is it <laughs> one of those, like every defensive lineman, I'll let, I'll let you sort that out in your imaginary game ball world. Um, I'm going to have some crossover here because I'm going to go with Von Miller, who is a part of that defensive line. Look, Luca mentioned it. We could have picked Josh Allen. You could have picked Stefan Diggs. Um, you could have picked Leslie, Fla Leslie Frazier, honestly, um, or Ken Dorsey. Both the coordinators had really good nights. But to me, what it comes down to is one Von Miller showed up and we talked about the money ball drives. He killed two of them with huge sacks. One first drive coming out of the the game for the Rams when the Bills had scored. And then the second one, right after the Bills had scored their touchdown to go up 17 to 10, Von Miller comes out and kills that drive with a big sack. And then you think about the moment going against his former team. He's the big story of the game. How many times do you watch a game just think about sitting on your couch and you, you're watching like Al Michaels talk about, okay, player X is making his return tonight and all spotlights on him. And that player just really doesn't do anything. And that seems like it happens all the time. Von Miller rose to the occasion, took over that game, gave the defense an attitude and the defense looked as good as you and I can remember it looking under Sean McDermott. And with him being the biggest insertion to that, um, he's going to get my game ball. All right, Luca with the good, we got to have some bad. There was not a lot of bad to come from this game, but, who on the Bills are you asking to turn in their game checks? Unfortunately, it may have been his debut in the NFL, and it may have been because of the first time he touched a football in the NFL. Yeah. But I'm going to just go ahead and say James Cook. It's just, it's unfortunate. It's, it's a bit unlucky, but at the same time, man, like he fumbled in a crucial situation of a game when the game was still, of course, up for grabs and in a bad spot. Um, luckily, as we discussed at length, 
the team, you know, stepped up big time for him. It's kind of just a small little footnote and just a tiny little downside to what is almost a perfect game for the Bills as a whole. But yeah, James Cook's kind of really the only low light or, you know, negative of this game. And uh, we don't literally want him to turn in his paycheck because uh, yeah. we hope it's all up from here. But um, sadly, he's going to be that guy that I uh, select for this category here. It's a good pick. It's a really good pick. And you just have to wonder, does James Cook find himself in McDermott's doghouse? Only saw three snaps that game. Um, It'll be interesting to see. uh, You know, we talked about Khalil Shakir. It's a numbers game when it comes to inactives. I don't want to see this happen. We'll certainly get into it next week on our Titans preview show. Um, But it's I, I think it's within the possibilities now that maybe James Cook finds himself inactive, which I think would be disappointing. Um, speaking of disappointing, uh, my, uh, turning your game check player is a player that really had no control over it. But, uh, Sam Martin, we talked a lot about punting this off season and Sam Martin was brought in and we did not need him in game. Number one, the bills didn't punt. Um, this is becoming a theme with this team going through games without punting. So Sam Martin through no fault of his own will not be receiving a game check, at least in my imaginary world, because the Bills did not need him, although it at least appears that he was solid on his holding opportunities with four extra points and one field goal, all that looked clean to my untrained eye. All right, Luca, there was some other Bills news to get into before we spin it around the league. Jordan Poyer reworked his deal. Now, that's important because it's not an extension. What the Bills did was they added $2 million worth of incentives to his 2022 contract. This is something that you and I have alluded to for a while, that maybe if they can't find a long-term deal that both both the team and the player like, maybe they show him some appreciation just by sweetening the pot a little bit, and that appears to be what happened here. One player that did get an extension this week is Dawson Knox, four-year $53.6 million extension, very similar to the contract signed by David and Joku. So Dawson Knox is in the fold for the next five years. All right, Luca, we have talked a lot about the bills, but there were 15 other games on the, the week one slate. Obviously the Denver Broncos and Seattle Seahawks will take place on Monday night, but the Dallas Cowboys are currently at the time we're recording playing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Buccaneers are winning 19 to three with about seven minutes to go in the fourth quarter. But let's go through the rest of the scoreboard from week number one, because we had ourselves a really, really fun Sunday. We're going to start off Luca with one of the bills, division rivals, the New York jets, Joe Flacco and the jets lost to the Baltimore Ravens and Lamar Jackson, 24 to nine in New York. And I know New Jersey And I think the story from this game, Luca, is Lamar Jackson had three touchdowns, 213 yards passing, and coming out this weekend before the kickoff was that the team and Lamar could not agree on a long-term deal. They're content to just let the season play out. If Lamar is, in fact, betting on himself, this was a great start. Yeah, it was a great start, but even at the same time, um, watched a little bit of this game today, and I really felt underwhelmed as well. Can you have a great game, but also feel underwhelmed? I I feel like you can. And ultimately he did. He had three touchdown passes and everything you talked about and he looked good. It is the jets. Let's just keep that in mind. Uh, You know, everything considering, but he had a good outing, but at the same time, a guy who didn't get the extension he hoped for, you heard the numbers that he turned down. So he's clearly betting on himself huge. And 
I almost would have expected him to come out even hotter. And Lamar is a guy too that normally in week one comes out guns a blazing and is just putting the league on fire. You know, it's he's killing it. He's running everywhere. He's throwing it everywhere in a great way. Um, he he kind of started just slow and then he eventually got into his rhythm, which is more normal and more let's just call it human. And that's not something we expect from Lamar. But overall, yeah, the Ravens look good. Lamar looked good. And um, definitely interesting to follow the Lamar contract situation and, you know, how long will he be on the Rams going forward? Because they got a couple franchise tags in their pocket for him. But beyond that, like, will he be hitting the open market in 2025? Like some, including myself, think you never know. And it's just crazy to think about. But for now, he's a Raven. For now, he's a threat in the AFC to the Bills. And they definitely started out strong against those lowly Jets. The Ravens did what they had to do. They beat the Jets. There's no excuse to lose to the Jets. If you're a team like the Ravens that has playoff and higher aspirations, the Jets were game. Like Lucas said, the game was close early on, at least defensively. It was 10 to three going into halftime, but then the Ravens eventually pulled away and won 24 to nine. Another quarterback going against his former team, Baker Mayfield, now the quarterback for the Carolina Panthers, and they fell to the Cleveland Browns by a score of 26 to 24. This game was an absolute wild ride as Katie York the kicker for the Browns hits a field goal. I need I need to see the uh, the yardage on this. I want to say it was it was over sixty. I'm pulling it up right now. Um, oh, I'm sorry, fifty eight yard field goal at the buzzer to win the game as Jacoby Brissett and the Cleveland Browns knock off Baker Mayfield. Now, Luca, this game started off slow. I even tweeted from the podcast account that watching these two teams play is like watching two young kids play Madden against each other and they don't know what the buttons do and as soon as I tweeted that it was boom, 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 three touchdowns right off the bat. It took, it looked like it took Baker Mayfield a little, little bit of time to get into a rhythm. There were three late lead changes in the fourth quarter, but in the end, Jacoby Brissett led the Browns down for a win. And you've talked about this Browns team. They are a talented bunch. And if they can just put some wins in the bank while Deshaun Watson is suspended and be in the hunt by the time he comes back, this could be a team to watch. Oh, absolutely. The one tidbit I would add to this is I feel like the Panthers kind of played themselves out of this game. They the craziest thing that happened was and I'm going to like as I'm talking here, I know it was a low number, but as the Panthers have a key thing in the NFL known as a healthy for the time being uh, Christian McCaffrey, you would think in dynamic elite offensive weapon that is Christian McCaffrey would be someone that you center your offense around and want to just get the ball as much as you can. Well, I believe it was even into the fourth quarter. They only had thrown him the ball three times. He had two catches and he had ran it a total eight times at that point in time that I remember looking. He finished the game, I believe, with 10 carries for 33 yards and then had four catches for 24 yards. That's not acceptable not if you're a Panthers fan. Not even close to the amount of touches Christian McCaffrey needs to be getting. And early on, it was I think he had two runs and two catches by halftime. That's what he was at. So all credit to Cleveland. And yeah, by the way, that 58-yard kick by Cade York, that thing probably would have been good close to 70. That thing was a bullet, and it was flying, and it was not going to go wide anytime soon. It was, it was a little bit of an awkward-ish looking kick. But it was an effective one for sure. And yeah, like I, one of my friends that was over to watch, he he was just 
you know, fascinated. And he was like, I'm pretty sure that thing would have been good from 70. It was an unbelievable kick. Good on him. Proud of him. You know, great. And the Browns did a good job. I mean, Cleveland, or sorry, the Carolina took the lead late with Baker. And it looked like you were thinking, especially with Jacoby Brissett and whatnot, that the Panthers were ultimately going to win and Baker was going to get his revenge. Uh, with a little bit of help from the refs with a interesting roughing the passer call. Yeah. Uh, the Browns did drive into that borderline field goal range, get the game winner. And yeah, I mean, a win's a win at the end of the day. For the Browns, that could be huge if they're able to just get a couple more, you know, get a few, obviously more than a couple because they have 11 games that they have to deal with Jacoby Brissett starting. But just are if they could manage 500 or whatever it may be and then get to Deshaun Watson and Deshaun Watson is still a you know great quarterback that we know he can be um all person things aside yeah they could be a serious threat and a problem like maybe slip into the wild card and it's all about just getting into the dance from that point and all of a sudden you got Cleveland coming to Buffalo in the divisional round or whatever it may be and that's that could be a scary matchup um Good for Cleveland, I guess. You know, whatever you say. I was kind of rooting against him, and I was rooting pretty big for Baker there. Yeah, and, me too. Uh, I really, I really think you know Matt Rule is a chump and a, just should be fired tomorrow. To be honest, if you're getting Christian McCaffrey a total of 14 touches, but uh, good for Cleveland, I guess. And uh, yeah, we'll have to keep an eye on them a little bit more than I expected. Yeah, I was rooting hard for for uh, Baker there. I wanted to see him get that win, and he definitely deserved it. He brought them back twice. Uh, developing story in Dallas. We'll keep an eye on it, but Dak Prescott has left the game with a thumb injury. Cooper rush is in at quarterback. Dak Prescott is back in the locker room at, as we speak. So we will be tracking that as the week goes on. All right, Luca, you, uh, probably didn't have this on your prediction sheet. We had a game end in a tie as the Indianapolis Colts and the Houston Texans cannot settle it in overtime and it ends 20 to 20 with one of the weakest punts you'll ever see by lovey smith it was fourth and three at midfield i don't know the exact time but it was essentially like 20 seconds left and if the texans get the first down they could kick a field goal if they don't get the first down then the colts have a chance to go win and lovey smith essentially punted to guarantee the tie and i feel like everybody in the building not named lovey smith hated that decision. This game was wild, Luca. The Texans were ahead early and I was watching this game fairly closely and I don't feel like the Texans were necessarily doing anything special in this game. It felt to me like the Colts were just shooting themselves in the foot. Uh, shout out to Jerry Hughes for having an interception that set up the first of two OJ Howard touchdowns. Yes, you heard that right. Um, but what's interesting is the Colts had 17 points in the fourth quarter, they were in the fourth quarter trailing 20 to three marched back 17 points. There was a sack fumble, EJ speed sacked, um, Davis mills. It was recovered by Buckner and that allowed the Colts to get back into the game. Then it goes to overtime. <sighs> Blakenship, their kicker, man. We saw him firsthand in Buffalo miss a chip shot field goal that they should have made. He had two kickoffs go out of bounds today and missed a field goal. That was very makeable in overtime that would have won the game for the Colts. Uh, they got to find an answer there. Uh, but to me, Colts got to figure out what's going on in week one. They have not won a week one game under Frank Reich. And for a team that you and I both think is going to win the AFC South, not being able to get a game against the Texans to the finish line is a bad look. 
Uh, definitely a bad look, especially now the fact that, as you mentioned, the Colts are trying to win the AFC South. We think they're going to win the AFC South, and they're currently tied with uh, those Houston Texans, might I add, uh, at the top of the division right now because, well, the rest of the division had also a very interesting day. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> so it was this game was weird. I mean, the Colts just look like absolute oh, nobodies until the fourth quarter. And then it was like, Oh wow. We have this guy named uh, Jonathan Taylor. Let's just feed him the ball and see what can happen. And then all of a sudden it just opened everything up. They were able to put 17 points force overtime. And then all of the craziness of overtime happened. Yeah. The only thing I want to talk about is who in the, let me not say it. Who in the world punts with 20 seconds left, no matter what, who the F has the audacity to desecrate an American sport like that. Lovey Smith should be ashamed of himself, especially for being a team like the Texans, where you're not going to give your fan base and your team in that locker room much hope throughout the season, I would imagine. And this could have been a nice, fun little chance to be like, hey, we can build something here. This is an example of it. Let's just go for it and see what happens here. If you don't pick that fourth and two or whatever it is at midfield up and the Colts ultimately pick up 10 yards in 18 seconds or whatever it may take and kick the game winning field goal, so be it. You went for it. That's all that matters. And the team is going to remember that. Now the team's going to remember that you punted with 20 seconds left to effectively not lose. And you just look like kind of a vanilla cone on an awful day. Like you are doing nothing of substance to me. Um, Yeah. Colts, a lot of question marks. Maybe Matt Ryan is not exactly the answer they hoped for at quarterback question mark. Um, could be a fluke. As you mentioned, seems like they always come out slow with the Frank Reich era. Doesn't matter who's quarterback in that predicament. They lost to the Jags. They lost to the Tech. Uh, Who did they lose to last year? I'm trying to think week one. Week uh, one, they lost to the Seahawks. Thank you. Uh, yeah, which the Seahawks weren't very impressive mm-hmm. anyways themselves. We learned, and then now they are tying the Texans. Hey, baby steps. It's not a loss, but yeah, not good. Not good at all. You can't be doing this to the Texans. This is a game, if you're expected to win the division, you need to win this game. And you came back to put yourself in a position, RIP Blankenship, uh, he might be getting his work orders tomorrow and no longer be a Colt. Uh, Sorry, bud. That was a very bad performance. The Colts will probably be fine. We've outlined how bad this division is, and it certainly lived up to the hype of being a bad division week one, but they're going to have to find a way to get these games to the the house that they should win. And even though they were down at one point 20 to three to battle back and not get it across the finish line is very disappointing. Uh, Colts former quarterback Carson Wentz throws two touchdown passes in the fourth quarter as the Washington Commanders defeat the Jacksonville Jaguars 28 to 22. This was a fun game, Luca. I had my eye on it a little bit. I wasn't watching it full go, but it was back and forth in the fourth quarter. And you know, Carson Wentz did what he did. He had some, he had one moment where he threw an interception to a defensive lineman, which, you know, is hilarious, but Give him credit, two touchdown passes in the fourth quarter, found a way to win a football game. And this was a game that I don't think many of us expected to be entertaining, and it was. Carson Wentz found a way to rip money out of my pocket in a really sad way. And I don't want to talk about this game very much because why in the world did I find myself believing in the Jags this week? I really don't know. Um yeah okay good for Carson Wentz 
very impressive performance. Uh, Curtis Samuel, shout out, by the way, was really big for Washington today. Uh, also, I just want to point out, James Robinson looks good after an Achilles problem. Yes. Good for him. Yeah. That's cool. It's not an easy injury for running backs to come back from. You know, example, Cam Akers, for instance, and other things. Um, good for him. Uh, so everyone with that ETN hype, let's uh, settle down here because James Robinson's still a thing. But um, yeah, this this game kind of hurt my pocket a little bit more than I feel like it should have. And uh, I think I'll leave it at that. All right. Well, the Bills division rivals took the field as the Miami Dolphins in Mike McDaniel's first game as a head coach defeats Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots 20 to seven. This game to me was not fun to watch. I thought both quarterbacks had moments where it was, you know, for lack of a better term, laughable. There were some bad throws out there. I, the story for me coming out of this game was I thought the Dolphins were a lot like what I thought they would be. Good defense, really fast skill players. Tyreek Hill goes eight for 94 in his Dolphins debut. Tua made some good plays. Tua made some bad plays. That's what I expect. To me, the story is the New England Patriots. We had heard through camp. We'd heard through preseason that they were a mess on offense. Now the proof is in the pudding, at least through one game. Seven points scored, and that drive was aided by a defensive penalty that probably shouldn't have been called. This Patriots team has a chance to be a real mess. And for a quarterback in Mac Jones that the New England Patriots were so high on last year to have this kind of chaos going on around him where they don't even know who the offensive coordinator is. And now it's coming out that it's a defensive coordinator that's calling plays on offense. I don't know what the Patriots are thinking, uh, but it certainly does not look good after one week. Yeah, I... So I had this game, as we've discussed at length, I have a four TV setup. You have a four TV setup. I had this game on the small top kind of it's there. Sadly, my eyes were attracted to it a little bit more than it probably should have. But um, it, there was an intrigue on, OK, is this Miami team what it thinks it can be or what fans of this team think they can be and whatnot? The thing that stands out to me are the two things. One of them that you just highlighted there lastly with the Patriots. Holy crap. It looked early on like, wow, maybe they can still kind of get around this and stuff. And then it was just like this team can't do crap like this. offense looks horrible. Uh, I have no idea what they're trying to even accomplish. It just seemed like it was calling plays out of Madden, everything like that. Tua was uh, he was the Tua we know. And uh, Bills fans love because it, um, yeah, there were some throws, man, that you were just like, what in the world is he doing? I'm going to say this right now. Tyreek is a fun little toy that they have, but Jalen Waddle is really still the problem and really the best weapon they have. And clearly in the second half established himself as a more reliable target, we'll call that. And it's not because Tyreek didn't play well. Let me just also add Tyreek at one point, mossed a DB, pulled it over him and then ran a couple extra yards, vintage Tyreek. Um, and that was not one of the poorly thrown balls. It wasn't a great ball either, but it wasn't one of the poorly ones. It was just Tyreek making an incredible play. But Jalen Waddle was really kind of what established or kind of solidified that the Dolphins were going to win this game and the and the Patriots weren't going to really do, be able to do anything. The thing that stands out, though, is push comes to shove. They really weren't able to punch it in as much as they should have, and they weren't able to establish many long drives. And that ultimately came down to the fact that eventually Tua had a duck or two in him and had just an, a 
abysmal throw in him that would just completely stall out a drive and just that would kill everything. And I think the one that really made me laugh, I had to even rewind it for our buddy Nino and just be like, you got it. Like the other games had things going on that were way more exciting. I'm like, you got to turn your attention to this. You have to watch this ball. Tyreek is wide open on a five yard, like quick post, or just honestly, at that point, it's a slant or a long slant and he's open. There is a defender five yards behind him. There's a defender five yards in front of him. That is wide open. Tyreek takes the ball three step drop cocks it as soon as he hits that back foot and goes to throw it this thing came out in a fashion that i have never seen a professional quarterback throw a ball and i think went way out in front of him it was just like this is something you practice regularly and you hit on the numbers 99 out of 100 times if you're an nfl quarterback and this thing was just abysmal and that that was a third i believe third down play they had to punt the ball because of it it's like if Tua can't complete things like that it doesn't matter that you have Tyreek Hill it doesn't matter that you have Jalen Waddle it doesn't matter that you have this you know this offensive mind as your head coach now that's going to revolutionize the offense Tua is clearly going to be the thing that holds you back Dolphins fans and I'm here for it <laughs> yeah. jokes on you uh he sucks so uh, hopefully that keeps uh, coming all the way to week three, I believe it is, when the Bills get to go down there and experience it firsthand, and we get to capitalize on a lot of those ducks that they're throwing. Um, yeah, good luck, Tua. Uh, just kidding, you still suck. Well, they're in the win column this week, and Mike McDaniels beats Bill Belichick in his coaching debut. So Tua struggles aside, Miami gets the win. We'll see what happens there uh, with Tua and the Dolphins. A very fun game in Atlanta today as Jameis Winston throws two touchdown passes in the fourth quarter. The Falcons had a 26 to 10 lead in the fourth quarter and found a way to lose. The Saints win 27 to 26. Will Lutz puts them up by a field goal with 23 seconds left, 51-yard field goal. The Falcons get the ball back, and with the assistance of a Marcus Lattimore, I want to say it was either holding or pass interference, I'm not positive, put them in position for... For Youngway Koo, I think that's how you pronounce his name, Youngway Koo, to try a 63-yard field goal to win at the buzzer, but it was blocked by the Saints. A fun game. I feel like if you're a Saints fan, you feel like your team survived um, more, th- more so than one. But to me, the bigger story here, Luca, is Mike Thomas can still play football at a pretty high level, had two real highlight reel touchdown uh, receptions in this game, 57 yards total. And if Winston can just find a way to play consistently with the weapons like Thomas Alave. We know what Kamara can do, even though he was quiet today. Jarvis Landry had some big plays today down the stretch. Um, Taysom Hill is still a fun gadget player Four rushes for 81 yards. The Saints team can be a little bit of a problem. Yeah, just want to not spend too much time on this, but yeah, the Saints the point about Jameis being needing to be consistent is kind of key here. I feel like it was, you know, it was a it was a game of two halves or is it, you know, a story of two tails kind of deal where the Saints just came out slow, a little lethargic. It, you didn't really know what you're getting out of them. And in the Falcons, all credit to them, kind of jumped on the opportunities eventually. And by halftime, you know, you're sitting there at 16, seven. And then I think at one point they were up big um maybe the saints got the field goal beforehand but they were definitely upsizable until the saints realized what they had offensively what they were able to be and accomplish with that unit it's a very talented group of players and Jameis winston turned it on finally and um i love i love it like 
I, I talk about quarterbacks and this is kind of where I want to end on this game. I talk about quarterbacks. I love, and I love Baker Mayfield. I love Joey Burrow. Of course I love 17, you know, ugh, love everything about him. Jameis Winston's a guy that I hated coming into the league. And now I love, he's an easy guy to root for. I love that he got his eyes fixed and he is funny as hell behind the camera and in front of the mic. Um, I want more Jameis. So having him have a comeback like this and embrace it and love it and enjoy it. I'm all for it, baby. Uh, Falcons. I also feel like, look, I'm not going to throw out the T word too much, but uh, they really kind of let their foot off the gas a bit too much, even for a professional team that uh, they're not doing the T word, but it really feels like they let off the gas more than they, uh, a normal competitive team would. We'll just leave it at that. I just think they're bad. I think bad teams find a way to beat themselves that this game is right there for the taking and the Falcons found a way to lose. Speaking of teams that know how to find their way to lose, the Detroit Lions lost a football game today, 38-35 to to the Philadelphia Eagles. Luca, I was on this game early, and I will admit it was 31-14 to in the third quarter, and that's when I stopped watching. And I missed a Lions comeback. They roared back, if you will, and they made it 38-35, to but the Eagles ended up escaping with the win. To me, the biggest story here was A.J. Brown, 10 catches for 155 yards in his in his Eagles debut and for the Lions DeAndre Swift 15 carries 144 yards also had three receptions in there for 31 he is a very very fun young player uh the Lions lost I think the score is probably a little closer uh because of the late scoring by the Lions to me this was a very impressive effort by the Eagles all the way around with an efficient day from Jalen Hurts, 18 of 32, 243. We know this team is only going to go as far as Jalen Hurts can take them, but they certainly have the roster if he takes a step this year to make some noise. Yeah, I mean, you just brought up a lot of good points. I don't need to spend much time on this. The one thing I will add is, and another thing to note uh, for anyone that just loves football and wants to watch stuff and has fantasy involvement, Devonta Smith. One target, zero catches, zero yards. Whoa. That is, and they traded away a Jalen Rager kind of guy. So you would think that there's not really a competition there. Uh, that's concerning. That is a red flag alert. Uh, what is going on that Devonta Smith is not being used by any capacity? And all of a sudden it's just the AJ Brown show. You're bigger on the Eagles than I am. Good for the Eagles. They almost choked it away. Uh, wow. It was an interesting game. I, it wasn't on the TV. I was with you. It was 31-14. Uh, Goff had a total of 68 yards passing at that point. Like I was like, this game is just a travesty. It's over. Uh, Motor City Dan Campbell, love you, but your team sucks yet again. And then all of a sudden, you're just watching box scores, and it, would, it got close. And um, good for Detroit for pulling in close in garbage time effectively, but uh, – Eagles get the win, and uh, I think both teams just kind of carry on with their own paths there. Part of the things I like about the Eagles is the same thing I like about the Colts. I think their path to a division title is very soft this year, and with their roster, if they can just get solid quarterback play, I think they should get there. Um, the a very fun game in the AFC North, another overtime game that almost threatened to tie the Pittsburgh Steelers behind Mitchell Trubisky get a 23 to 20 win in Cincinnati over the defending AFC champion Cincinnati Bengals. And wow, you want to talk about a team that's going to be kicking themselves. The Bengals found every which way to lose a football game today. 
um, started off with a pick six by Joe Burrow from Minka Fitzpatrick. And the Steelers got out to a big 17 to three lead. The Bengals fought their way back, but they end up going to overtime because the Steelers had a 20 to 14 lead as time was running down. Joe Burrow hits Jamar Chase for a touchdown with four seconds left to make it 20 to 20. And the extra point is blocked. They get to overtime. The Steelers don't do anything with their possession. The Bengals drive down to chip shot field goal range and McPherson shanks the field goal. And then Mitch Trubisky leads them down for a game winning drive. Chris Boswell with a 53 yard field goal to give the Steelers the win. And TJ Watt was injured in this game with a pec injury. Uh, We'll have to keep an eye on that. The Bills play the Steelers in week five. It sounds like it might be somewhat serious. So maybe TJ Watt is not going to be in Buffalo for that game. Luca, this game was a lot of fun. Good for Mitchell Trubisky to get the win. Uh, But for a Bengals team, four interceptions by Joe Burrow today, a couple missed field goals, a missed extra point. Man, they're going to be kicking themselves. Look, the Bengals just ran into, and let me just say it for the millionth time, <laughs> yep. the greatest week one team in NFL history. The Pittsburgh Steelers do not lose on week one. It just doesn't happen, people. I, it, I was laughing the entire time watching this game and then eventually getting mad that it was still on TV because it was holding up the Cardinals-Chiefs game. But I was laughing the whole time because uh, Nino... Uh, for instance, was like the Bengals are going to win this game. And I like I wanted to bet him. I was like, 50 bucks, dude. There's no the Steelers will win this game. The the uh, chase touchdown happens. I'm like, wow, you should have bet that $50 blocked extra point happens. As soon as that block and extra point happens, I'm like, the Steelers are winning this game. There's no doubt in my mind. They are the greatest week one team of all time. They're going to win this game. Mm-hmm. And it only hurt because in all fantasy, let's put it real quick. I was facing against Steelers defense and things of that nature. So it was just laughable that all of this was happening. And I was just a very entertaining game as a spectator. Um, Had a very good time watching it for the most part. But um, yeah, as I said, look, Bengals fans, you ran into the greatest week one team of all time. Suck it up. The Bills lost to them last year and somehow put a good stretch of games in where they made the playoffs and were 13 seconds away and a coin toss away from getting to the AFC championship to play against you. So, I mean, there's still hope there, Bengals. There was a lot of missed field goals in big situations today. Boswell and McPherson both missed field goal attempts in overtime before Boswell finally nailed his ball. Boswell's went off the upright from like 60 yards. He's a great kicker. He just happened to miss one there. All right, Luca, we gave you a lot of credit for things you predicted earlier. We talked about Jalen Ramsey. We talked about Christian Benford. But now I have to bring up the fact that on this show a few weeks back, you said the Chicago Bears would not win a single game. And we are sitting here in week one. And Luca, they won a game 19 to 10 over the San Francisco 49ers. I don't know if this says more about the Bears or more about the 49ers, but I will say just from my seat, I wonder if this is why they kept Jimmy Garoppolo because this is a 49ers team that has championship aspirations. They were in the NFC title game last year. They know they feel good about their roster. And now week one, you go out and you can't score more than 10 points against the Bears defense. I understand the weather was bad. I get all that. Uh, But this is a team in the Chicago Bears that's almost universally picked to be the worst in football And the Niners, who are a team that a lot of experts have going to the Super Bowl, 
lose in week one. Wild game, Luca. Look, I'm just going to blame the weather on this one. Mm -hmm. That weather was a travesty. And you want to talk about an equalizer? The weather was an equalizer. I mean, shit. Look, the Bills would have won that game and they would have won it handedly, but it wouldn't have been pretty either. Like that weather was really bad. And the funny part was the Bears do something like finally make their field better. And then they get something like a torrential downpour where their field cannot retain water. (laughs) Too funny, like too perfect. Soldier Field becomes a slop fest anyways. It's just the way that field is meant to exist, right? Um, my bet for under three and a half wins for Chicago still lives. Trey Lance looked very, very green and raw. Uh, yeah, I think your point on Jimmy G is pretty spot on. There is now a legitimate path where Jimmy G is starting for this team at some point in this regular season because Trey Lance looked bad. I'm gonna, again, go back to my first point though. The weather was so bad. If you're a guy that's not comfortable still trying to kind of get their feet wet, well, I mean, they literally <laughs> got their feet wet here, but it, it, you're trying to get your feet wet in the play in the NFL and stuff. This was not the game to do it. This was ugly. It was barely on red zone channels for a reason. This was not a pretty game. And look, the Bears just at home muscled out a win somehow, some way against the Niners. I'm not overly concerned about the Niners. I just think at the end of the day, the Bears were just able to ca- capitalize one more time than the Niners in shit weather. And they just locked it down. If Jimmy G was playing this game, I don't think it would have probably been much different. Um, I don't think Jimmy would have been able to start putting balls in places that Trey wasn't able to. You know, it it just, look, it was kind of a flip of a coin due to the weather. Bears win. I'm going to blame weather all day long for this one because I am not going to accept the fact that the Bears already have gotten a win on me. F them. F the Bears. F Chicago. Uh, You're still not... I am not, I am not happy about this, but, uh, you're still not winning more than three games. People. Hey, relax. hey if you're out there and you're listening, you're in Chicago. I like you, but I still don't think your team's very good, but Hey, I'm glad you guys got a win. Glad, glad you got to enjoy a football Sunday. Um, another game that took place in Los Angeles this week, the LA chargers and Justin Herbert get a 24 to 19 win over the Las Vegas Raiders. This game was not the shootout I expected. Took these teams a little bit to get going, um, but the Chargers did find a way to win. Justin Herbert, 279, three touchdowns. And what was interesting was when you're, I I was watching this through the lens of somebody that really needed Mike Williams to do something. Spoiler alert, he didn't. Um, There was touchdown catches by Gerald Everett. There was a guy named Carter that caught a ball. Uh, Somebody named Horvath caught a ball. So understandable that when Justin Herbert goes nuts, that Keenan Allen, who did leave with an injury, I did not see a report on him. And Mike Williams had nothing to do with that. Devontae Adams in his Raiders debut, 10 catches, 141 yards, and a touchdown. Derek Carr's three interceptions were too much for the Raiders to overcome, Luca. This was an interesting one. Like the Chargers seemed like they kept pulling away and they were comfortable. And then all of a sudden the, the Raiders would creep in there, there in the third quarter. And you're like, okay, I mean, maybe we're doing something here. Then the Chargers got another touchdown, but then the Raiders got, mm-hmm. you know, some scores in the fourth again to be like, eh, maybe we're still there. I'm just going to say this. Justin Herbert looked incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, although he, he had one or two bad passes in there that were just like, eh, what are we doing? But, Everyone's allowed a couple bad passes. Look, not everyone's Josh Allen. Okay. Uh, he's still pretty damn good. Um, but 
overall, both these teams were pretty good. Devontae Adams is still very good. Darren Waller still very good. Uh, you know, going back to the Chargers, the Mike Williams thing was very interesting. Like, I did not see that coming when Keenan was out. Again, those aren't exactly like-for-like like skill sets, but you would think you would just lean on another guy that you were leaning on last year a little bit in that predicament. Um, kind of a red flag to me a bit. The one takeaway I have from this is, I think people need to pump the brakes a little bit on Derek Carr. And I am one included. Derek Carr did not look comfortable so much, whether that's because the Chargers defense really stepped it up a lot or just whatever other variables it was. Um, maybe the Raiders offensive line isn't as good as we had hoped it was. Derek Carr did not look comfortable from start to finish. He was able to get some passes in there, but there were some a lot. I don't even want to say something. There was half the moments of Derek Carr throwing the ball. It seemed like were uh, very suspect, very poor, just not good. And maybe the Derek Carr we thought would surge up did not show up today. I wouldn't be overly worried about it right now. I mean, there's a lot going on. They have a lot of moving parts, things like that. And they came up against a very good team in their home building, although it was basically a Raiders home game with the crowd involved. But um yeah, I mean, they're both two good teams, two to keep an eye on throughout the entire season. If you're a Bills fan, Chargers are clearly a team that are going to be legitimate. Although I say that and, you know, Chargers are going to charge her, fingers crossed at least, because you never know. Just saying. I'm not a hater, not a hater. Throwing my hands up here, not a hater. I love Justin Herbert, but uh, until the Chargers don't charge her, Chargers are always going to charge her. And uh, we'll see how that goes. Khalil Mack gets three sacks in his Chargers debut. Derek Carr was sacked a total of six times. So yeah, he was running for his life all day long. I watching this game, um, even though, like you mentioned, the Raiders made it close late. I never got the feeling the Chargers were going to lose just watching. And I was kind of rooting for the Raiders just because I had picked them. I didn't really care, um, but I was rooting for the Raiders. I just never got the feeling that even when they closed it to a six or a five point game that they were going to win the game. Um, but we did mention Devonte Adams had a, I just lost it on my screen. He had 141 receiving yards and that's notable Luca because he had more receiving yards than all Packers wide receivers combined as the green Bay Packers go to Minnesota and lose by a score of 23 to seven, Justin Jefferson, my goodness, nine receptions, 184 yards, two touchdowns and to me the biggest concern about this game if you're watching it we we knew the vikings could score some points they scored 23 it wasn't an amazing game we knew justin jefferson was good what we didn't know or what we at least wanted to see was did the packers have enough weapons to to survive having traded Devontae Adams. We know they drafted Romeo Dubs. We know they drafted Christian Watson. We know they signed Sammy Watkins. We know they're high on Alan Lazard. They're getting Robert Tunyon back from injury. Alan Lazard did not play today, and it was a mess. Seven points for an Aaron Rodgers-led team against a Vikings defense that's good but not great. Uh, long season, the Packers got blown out week one last year. I still think they're going to have something to say about where this season goes. But at least for one week, Luca, it sure looks like maybe they had a miscalculation trading away Devontae Adams. The one play I will highlight that kind of encapsulates the Packers offense. Uh, Christian Watson absolutely torches Patrick Peterson. God damn it. It hurt me to see that, by the way. Love Pat Pete. Love you forever. But torches him. And he is just flying by him. Roger sees it and puts one right on his mitts. It is 
right in the palms of his hands, dropping in from the sky. And he, well, drops it. And as he's coming down the sideline, getting off the field, it was probably because Aaron Rodgers shot him a look that you never want to see your quarterback looking at you like. And I I didn't pay close, close attention to this game because it got out of hand pretty quick. Uh, the Packers defense just decided, hey, let's not guard 18 because, oh, it's just Justin Jefferson, the best wide receiver in the league. Why? Why should we be within 20 yards of this guy? Like, uh, it's ridiculous. Let me just also add, does it seem like the Vikings, no matter what, just always just run double deep crosses all the time and just that's how they do everything? It's just weird thing. Just want to throw that out there. But anyways, um, it got out of hand and I didn't really pay attention much, but I didn't see Christian Watson out there very much after that play. And that kind of showed or highlighted just what this pack, the thing they did effectively in the one player I will highlight is AJ Dillon is clearly their number one running back. And I'm going to say that is he is their number one running back. Aaron Jones is still a very good option that they have, and he can do a lot of different things. AJ Dillon was pounding the rock. He took a hit at one point. I just, this is another play that I loved. We're going to move on right after this, but he, he took a just a check down dump off. I'm pretty sure Rogers was getting pressured probably was about to get whacked as he did many times in this game. Checks it down. AJ Dillon takes a shot with the dude spearing his helmet into his thighs. Now, if you know who AJ Dillon is, of course, his thighs are massive. Takes it. This would knock any other grown man down immediately. He bent forward, didn't actually touch the ground, got up, proceeded to drag two more bodies to pick up nine yards in a first down. AJ Dillon is a freak. Like, I saw that and my jaw dropped and I could not stop laughing. I love AJ Dillon. I want to watch more AJ Dillon because holy shit, taking that hit and going and staying alive and acting like nothing happened as a 240 pound man just speared himself into your lower body. Incredible. But anyways, yeah, tough game for the Packers. They always seem to come out a little bit slow other than that one like thir- you know Thursday season kickoff against the Bears where they just slaughtered them. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, they always come out slow. Like last year, obviously, they lost big to the the Saints in Jacksonville and all that fun jazz. But um, yeah, weird game. Good for the Vikings. Glad they made me some money today. But um, yeah, Packers, not a pretty sight today. Another not pretty sight, well, at least for your eyes, because yeah. I know the, the Cardinals are a team that's near and dear to your heart. The Kansas City Chiefs go to Arizona and win 44 to 21. You had a feeling this might be a mismatch just when you started adding up the guys for the Cardinals that weren't going to be playing. You knew DeAndre Hopkins wasn't going to be out there because of his suspension. Rondale Moore was ruled out earlier this week. J.J. Watt was ruled out this morning. And Patrick Mahomes, at least through one week, throws for five touchdown passes, does not appear to be missing Tyreek Hill as Travis Kelsey goes for 121 and a touchdown. Juju Smith-Schuster goes for 6-79. and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire gets two receiving touchdowns. They had guys running wide, wide open. Uh, Luca, I will defer to you on anything you want to say about this because we know there's some Cardinals love there. So take it away, sir. Uh, The Cardinals are at this moment in time, the 32 ranked defense in the league. That was the most pathetic performance of a defense I have ever witnessed in my life. Uh, Isaiah Simmons might be an absolute bust. He might be a joke of an athlete. He is talented as all hell, but I do not know what's going on in between the years. He just looked like a literal chicken with its head cut off. No idea what he was trying to do out there and accomplish. 
Um, JJ probably would have changed a little bit and maybe they would have been able to hold them once to a field goal instead of, uh, well, I don't even know. Justin Reed's out there kicking the ball half the time until Bucker decided to do the one step kick and was still, you know, drilling 50 yard field goals, only taking one step into it. Just wild stuff was happening. I don't know if you know that, by the way, Harrison Bucker rolled his ankle on a kickoff, um, Mm -hmm. and then proceeded to just be out for about a quarter and a half. And then was like, you know what? I can just like cut down my path, one step, hop, bang out a 52-yard field goal. Eh, whatever, man. Like, it's okay. So anyways, um, I will say this. Chiefs look very good. Um, I actually think this offense looks better without Tyreek Hill. Can't believe I'm saying that, but Patrick Mahomes literally could do whatever he wanted. I will say I'm pretty sure I'd tilt that scale more because the Cardinals just had no idea what they were doing defensively. Uh, not a Vance Joseph person and people were pumping him up like as someone to watch for head coaching jobs next year. You give him that tape and he won't be in the NFL next year as a coordinator. Uh, that was a joke. This defense of the Cardinals was a joke. Uh, the Cardinals offense wasn't much better. Um, like they got 21 points, 14 of those points in the fourth quarter and the game was already over people. It was pathetic. Uh, yeah, we don't need to talk much about this game. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury, I can't wait to see you get fired, bud. You are a joke. Um, Vance Joseph, you're a joke. This team's a joke. Uh, Kyler, go play Call of Duty because the season's over, bud. Yeah, not a lot of weapons out there either. They they really need Nuke back and Rondale back in the worst way. And then the final game that we watched today was the New York Giants and Brian Dayball getting his first win as a head coach with the Giants having a comeback victory over the Tennessee Titans in Nashville, 21 to 20. To me, the biggest story out of this game, outside of the fact that the Giants found a way to win the game, is Saquon Barkley, 18 carries, 164 yards and a touchdown, added in six receptions um, through the air, looked like he had that burst back that we saw at Penn State, ran angry, ran aggressively. And for the Titans, they drove down near the end, Got within range for Randy Bullock to hit a game-winning field goal, but it went wide left. You love that when the Giants win a game and the field goal goes wide left. So you don't have to see a Scott Norwood highlight in the in the highlights. But good for Brian Dable. Very good for uh, Saquon Barkley. And the New York Giants finally, Luca, finally have a winning record, which is something I believe they've gone five years without having as they improve to 1-0. Maybe a sub story out of this is we've kind of hinted toward Tennessee having a really bad offseason. Uh, we're going to spin this conversation forward regarding the Titans here in a second, but uh, takeaways from the Giants win over the Titans. Uh, Saquon looks awesome. Saquon was everything he hoped. Someone in my living room today was like, oh, maybe old Saquon's back. I'm like, I don't think Saquon really ever left. The problem was he just kept getting these major injuries that were hindering his abilities. He looks healthy, looks 100%. And if Saquon's 100% for a year, at least the Giants have a puncher's chance in every game. I will say this, Daniel Jones looks like shit. Yeah, Um, yeah, it was rough. He was slow on running. He was pathetic throwing. That, uh, I'm going to air quotes here. You know, people listening can't see this. That back shoulder fade he was trying to throw to Saquon, that might be one of the worst passes I have ever seen in uh, NFL regular season game. And I say that somewhat sarcastically. There have been much worse. Nathan Peterman uh, example, uh, just everything he does. But it It should have cost him the game, really. It really should have. That was pathetic. It was. 
and by the way, I had like a Saquon two plus touchdowns on the day in one of my bets and watching that happen. And then also them let Saquon get them down to the one inch line and then not let him run it in. But then he gets Very a two painful. point conversion. Yeah. But then he gets the two point. Yeah. Oh, just brutal. Love it. Just an absolute dick punch. But um, yeah, it was, it's cool for Brian Dable. I'm happy for him. Uh, Saquon, I love watching. Uh, Derrick Henry. Another slow start, but I feel like he does it every year, so I wouldn't read much into that. I would say, yeah, the Titans, oof, buddy, that was not pretty. When Daniel Jones can barely run, like there was one run. Let me just point this one out real quick. There was one run where it was an op. I think it was an option, or it was just a keeper to the left, and he barely picked up the two yards. I think it was a fourth and two even. He had to have it, and he looked like it was Peyton Manning running. Like we were joking around, you know, Dable watched that play happen. He was happy that he picked it up. He's like, Josh Allen would have skipped into the end zone with this play. Like, this is a joke. What am I doing here? Like Dable could probably not believe what he was watching transpire in front of him. Um, but yeah, the Titans, man, woof. I am very excited for Monday night football next week because, uh, oh, this could be a home opener to remember just a, an opponent like the Titans that obviously we've had very good games with in the past. And then they go out and look like that against the Giants eventually lose thanks to that because of a 47 yard field goal attempt on grass on the right hash. As you pointed out, it didn't end the way similar to another field goal of that exact distance and location. But um, yeah, just uh, uh, Titans might be owing to real soon here um, and uh, I'm all here for it. Yeah, I thought the that so you look at Daniel Jones stats, 17 for 21, 188, two touchdowns. You're like, oh, it was a solid day. He had some boneheaded plays. He did have a really nice touchdown pass to Sherling Shepard. He is a really good athlete. I know there were a couple of plays. I guess he looks slower running, but I will say I like the fact that Brian Dable is calling some of that read option stuff. You can see the integration of the Bills playbook into what they have. They don't have a lot of weapons. Like this, this feels a lot to me like the 2017 Bills where they're just trying to see what they have, figure out who their guys are, who they can trust, and who they have to ship out. And the fact that Kadarius Tony did not have one catch and just had a couple of carries in this game and was never on the field makes me wonder if he's somebody, as we inch closer to the trade deadline, maybe could be on the move. Um, but we shall see. Big win for the Giants. Happy for them. And as far as the Tennessee Titans go, they are what is up next for the Buffalo Bills coming up next Monday night. Not this Monday night, today, if you're listening, but a week from today. And they're 0-1 now. And, you know, it's early. Half the league is going to lose week one. We know that going in. But it can start feeling late early if you lose that second game. And a daunting task for the Titans now to lose a game on their home field, fall to 0-1, and then travel to a team with more rest that is widely considered the best team in football, play them on their home field. Um, Luca, so here's the way our schedule sets up. Because of the fact that we record on Sunday and we our podcast goes live on Monday, this Titans game, our podcast on Monday, is really going to be a full-fledged Titans preview. We are going to dive into the game, get you ready for the game, tell you everything you need to know about the matchups, what to look for. So that's why we're not really talking about it tonight. Um, but I'm looking forward to that because for the majority of our shows recording on Sunday, it's going to be more of a post-game feel, but we will get to do some outlining of what we expect to happen in this Titans game next Monday. Obviously right now, Luca, we are still focused on week one, but just quickly high level, any thoughts on the Titans? I know you said it should be a fairly easy game for the bills. We know this is the team that was the number one seed in the AFC last year. There might be a desperation factor coming off of a loss this week. 
Um, and we know this is a team that for whatever reason has had the bills number the last two years. Um, so any high level thoughts before we get out of here? Last year was last year. This is this year. I don't give a shit about the past with this team. What I saw today out of the Titans. Um, yeah, I'm expecting to have a good party as I'm there at the game next week. Uh, as you said, we're going to have a nice pregame show for our re our podcast next week to get everyone that listens to us ready for it. And then just know everyone, I will be out there with you somewhere. I don't know where yet, but I will be out there somewhere enjoying that environment of what will eventually become uh, no spoiler here. I'm not going to put my prediction yet, uh, um, but it will be a very enjoyable experience for anyone there at the stadium to enjoy bills titans monday night next monday um yeah no i'm not worried about the titans at all i don't yes they had our number in the past but the past is the past and this team is very different both teams very different and both in completely opposite directions i am very excited to talk about that game more next week um and uh yeah I'm, I'm even more excited to go watch what i expect to be a very fun time for bills faithful it will be a fun time hopefully we will have a fun time next week breaking down this game everything we think is going to happen we will do an in-depth preview of the bills week two matchup with the tennessee titans until then we would like for you to keep it locked on to the built in buffalo podcast network and we will keep you up to date on all bills news and news around the nfl as this league turns its attention to week number two until next week we will see you on bills chat